0: What is up, P1s, and welcome to a Bad Radio Podcast special. For the months of March and April, Jake Kemp has been going through the 2011 NBA Playoffs, the Mavs' run to the championship. We did round one with Portland last week, and this week we talk round two with the LA Lakers, we talk the sweep, the Mother's Day Massacre, and Scoops Callahan scooping Phil Jackson. On this week's edition of the Bad Radio Podcast Special, enjoy.
1: It's Dan and Jake, and for the next couple segments, we'll go back to revisiting the Mavericks' 2011 playoff run. We talked last week about the Portland series, super underrated, uh, just for as a you know a turning point from the standpoint that the Mavericks got down in Game One at home and had to battle back. Uh, Late in that game, down five or six, halfway through the fourth quarter. And then lost game three on the road uh, in Portland. At uh, at that point, they had a 2-0 series lead, so that makes it 2-1. Game four, they had a 23-point lead late in the third quarter, and as we all remember, blew it. But from that point forward, and Dan made this point back in 2011 several times, that fourth quarter comeback... Uh, can really be viewed as the rallying point of the entire run. Because from then on, the Mavericks went 14-3, and including, as we all know, just an absolute destruction of the Lakers uh, in round two. And I referenced this last week, but I went and back and looked again. Somebody had saved all of the uh, ESPN talking heads and, and their editors and writers' picks. So in round one, Adrian Wojnarowski picked a Portland sweep. He picked a six-seed to sweep a higher-ranked a three-seed that had 57 wins, and as I've referenced a couple times, Dallas got the 57 wins that year and went 2-9 and nine in games Dirk didn't play in. Well,
2: everybody's always trying to find your, where's the upset? There's going to be an upset at every playoffs, right? So rarely it's 1-8, so you'd probably just cross that off right away. You know, 4-5, or five, that's not really an upset. So, it's a fa- I, I would think it's like the, uh, what's the NCAA every year? Is it a 15-2? 15-2, two? Two. yeah. Like, uh, it's probably a pretty favorable spot for, for people to pick up tests. But a sweet so
1: I mean, that is a different level. But out you of,
2: said a lot of people were picking Portland.
1: Out of the five main writers here, uh, only one writer, Mark J. Spears, picked Dallas, and he picked Dallas in seven. We go now to the second round, and the five – actually, they added for this one, they added in – one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. This is 19 projections or or predictions made by ESPN writers, all 19 for L.A. Woj picked Lakers in five, Spears Lakers in six. Uh, Greg Anthony had Lakers in six. There is not one writer here out of the 19 listed (laughs) that picked Dallas.
2: And – they were defending champs?
1: Yes. They had uh, they actually won two in a row. They had been in the finals three straight years, if I remember correctly. Okay,
2: so maybe their thing was, uh, can Kobe do uh, another three-peat? Because didn't he do one with Shaq? Yeah. And now he's looking to uh, equal Michael Jordan, right? Correct. Did Jordan Jordan have six overall?
1: Yeah, I believe Two three-peats
2: correct. before yeah. and, and after his retirement, so...
1: So yeah, the the Lakers had been in the finals for three straight years. They okay. had won the last two.
2: Because I'm trying to remember that narrative, but you know why? Why was this such a big shock to sweep the Lakers? And it it just must be it's Kobe, it's Phil, it's
1: Pal was still cooking, but. To your point, the Mavericks and Lakers ended up with the same regular season record. They both ended up with 57 regular season wins. LA's the 2 seed, Dallas is the 3 based on, but can, you know, division. But
2: I can tell you our narrative must have been, yeah, but they realize this is what they play for. Right. You know, they're not, they're not, Michael Jordan realized that later in his career too. You don't play for regular season wins. The 1C doesn't mean that much. You know, uh, LeBron learned that. Why Why try for the record of wins in the regular season? That's not, where, that's not where the focus is. You learn to play, you know, gear yourself up for the playoffs, and I'm sure that would have been the narrative, that that's what the Lakers could have won 65 had they really wanted to, you know?
1: Let's go back to bad radio in 2011, and I think you will hear some of those same tunes being oh, yeah? sung. Well, since every
3: player on this team is over 30, you think that has less of a chance to happen now? That, that uh, you know, is see, just,
0: Dirk's played the Lakers a thousand times, but, but if, they haven't played him in a seven times in a sure, two game spell. Sure. But to make an spell.
2: analogy with the Rangers, they would the Rangers would have to be perennial perennially in the mix and then always fall short for some reason or another. So now they're mentally weak to begin with. And then face the Yankees, who you know they never beat. You know what I mean? Like, right. the Mavs have this not quite have it all mentality. You well, know, and, and now they're facing the team is, that they know does quite have it all.
0: This is a big step up. I mean, they played a Portland team who many people picked against them, yours truly. But I think most people thought, well, who's the better team? The Mavs are the better team. Well, then why would you pick against them? Because I think the Mavs have a very damaged psyche from over the years.
1: So we're still in damaged psyche mode, you know, at the outset of this L.A. series. We're well, still I can in see that. Just, yeah, no, i not. Because you're now
2: going to play Kobe. He's a killer. He scores 40 while he's on trial for rape. Like nothing from the outside world. He, when he goes on vacation with his, like Dirk in the offseason goes on a walkabout and uh, gets drunk and, and, you know, takes time off of basketball. Kobe's off offseason is renting out a gym when he's <laughs> on vacation with his family. And he'll do family stuff during the day, but he goes to the gym at 5 a.m. and does a four-hour workout. Like that's... The, that's what you view these people as. And this is Phil. You know, they're going to figure it out for sure. They are the mentally tougher team. I could see that definitely being our narrative.
1: And how about the fact that they hadn't played the Lakers up to this point? What do you mean? <laughs> in the postseason. I mean, they obviously like back ever? in 1988. Okay. But the Mavericks are in the playoffs, you know, basically. It isn't like
2: the Spurs or somebody that they've met before quite a bit.
1: They'd been in, I think, 10 or 11 in the playoffs, 10 or 11 years in a row before this and had never played the Lakers and, in a series. And whether this or, is the,
2: the Lakers' time. Right. This is what they live for, and they are battle-tested.
1: And they got swept. <laughs> it really is absolutely remarkable that the Lakers were trying to win their third straight series, or third straight finals, and they didn't get a game from Dallas. Uh, let's go back to Bad Radio 2011 a little bit more.
0: That, that's, a, that's a mental. big. That's a big step because you could make the case Portland had no idea what to do at winning time, whereas the Lakers. I mean, come on. That's what this is. This is. They go through the uh, first eighty-two games of every season as a complete nuisance. You know, they just. Put up with it and get through it because they know the season doesn't start till
1: now. And that's kind of what you were referencing is that, oh, who knows, maybe the Lakers actually could have won 65 games. Yeah. And I, there's probably something to that, that they came into this series thinking it's the Mavericks. Like, look, they almost just blew it against Portland. They probably shouldn't even be in the second round. This team, this team is going to send us home and prevent us from getting our, th- our second three-peat? No way. And it's – I don't know, I think in my head I'm kind of trying to rank these series by the most shocking to me, or the most impressive, or the most impactful, and it's probably just whichever one I'm watching at that moment. But as I went back and watched Game 1 last night and this morning, the first thing I'll tell you that jumps out is, dude, it's just like goosebump, chill-inducing to watch Kobe Bryant in the prime of his career now. It's just – it's so weird, man. Like, it's one thing if you go see a highlight package at a memorial or you see uh, a highlight package that SportsCenter was running in the couple weeks after his death. But to just watch a whole game of Kobe Bryant playing basketball, he looks pretty young, you know. It wasn't like early, early Kobe, but he doesn't doesn't look old by any stretch. And he's still – I mean, he came into the series with a hurt ankle, Um, But he still was just absolutely cooking Dallas early in this series.
2: Everything feeds through him?
1: Yeah, oh, without a doubt. And he's dead. It's just very odd to – it's the first time I've sat down and watched a full Kobe game since that happened. And I think the sitting in, the setting in rather, comes in waves. You know, I think like the first couple days it was like, this is not even a real story. Is Dirk's number not officially retired? No, that will be uh, next year, they said, sometime.
2: So if you were watching this game in 2011 (laughs) and I was to tell you, Kobe will have his number retired by the Mavs before Dirk does. It certainly would have. have (laughs) That wouldn't have made any sense to you. Oh, really? Did Kobe play for the Mavs, you'd say? No, no, he never ended up playing for the Mavs. Mm. Oh, so league-wide they retired his number league-wide? No, he's, <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's tw- weird. It's a hard thing for me to explain. But
1: like, uh, what money could you have made betting on that? Oh, I'm, I'm just going to take my Kobe expiration winnings and call it a day. I'm already going to hell for that one for parlaying the unders the day of his passing. All right, let's continue with Bad Radio 2011. Have yeah. they been involved in a
3: series where they just had no absolute no chance at all, where everyone thought they didn't have a chance? Who? Dallas, because we've always said that they are they're horrible frontrunners. But now they have absolutely no chance, and that's what everyone is saying. Does that affect the way they think and the way they roll out and play? I mean, I know a lot of people picked against them against Portland, but really, yeah. since they're the higher seed, everyone thought, you know, they may can do something to pull it out. But now, I mean, there is absolutely not one person picking the Mavericks.
2: No. no, I <sighs> Except Barkley. I don't see why you would,
1: unless you were just doing a bit. Do you remember that? That after years of hating on Dallas and after years of calling them He was leading the charge of how soft they were, that Charles Barkley was the only leading voice out there that you could hear banging the drum for, this Mavericks team is different, this year is different. Interesting. And that Tyson Chandler was a big part of it, and Barkley was on that island by himself. That's really interesting, because I don't really remember that.
4: But didn't Barkley pick Portland to win in the first round?
1: I think he might have... uh, I think he might have... But after every single stretch, every series after that, he picked the Mavericks. He picked the Mavericks to beat the Heat whenever they eventually got to the finals, and almost no one else was doing that either.
2: Was his bit, like, anti-Dirk?
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: It started out that way. That's interesting how the guy who is thought of as the greatest player to never win a title, or at least in the conversation, would have been picking on the other guy who... That's That was also his knock. Right. You would had, thought they'd band together. Had he never won this in 2011, he would be that guy.
1: And, you know, sometimes with Shark, maybe he's just doing, he wants to, to stir the pot. Right. That's so, what I yeah. always used
2: to think with the Dirk thing. Yeah. Like uh, the San Antonio thing and the women and, you know, he's, although there's that's probably more rooted in truth.
1: Uh, (laughs) okay let's let's do one more piece of audio here before we go to the break and uh this sets up just you know you're just happy to even possibly be getting one of the two in LA if you're Dallas
0: and obviously it's extremely important that you get back to Dallas at 1-1 and if you can do that you feel great about your chances moving forward. It doesn't mean you have the, turn of the uh, series one at all, but it does mean you have a chance to take this thing deep. If you can get 1-1, if you can figure out a way to split these first two games, you've got a fighting chance to make this thing go 6 or 7. If you come back 2-0, now you see how it sets up perfectly for the Lakers to uh, win in 5.
1: All right, so when we continue, we'll actually start to break down a little bit of this game and a couple of other things that I had completely forgotten about uh, with regard to the Mavericks and the Lakers heading into this series. Uh, the time that uh, Matt Barnes, Don Zimmer, Terry Stotts, next.
2: It is Monday. Brian Curtis of the Athletic, or excuse me, of the Athletic. He'd probably be really mad if he heard me say that. <laughs> of the Ringer, we'll be on with us at two thirty. He's got a new article out today. Um, got a bunch of stuff for you uh, during this coronavirus quarantine. T I N E is how you spell the end of that. Uh, and yeah, I like what I like what we've been doing here. In that, I know some shows. Different people are doing different things. You know, you're reliving old times or reliving, you know, this game or that game. But this is like the best sports memory I have. And I bet you a lot of people around here, if you just had to pick a number one sports memory. I got here year or week one, my first week on the job, the Dallas Stars won the Stanley Cup. But I did not go through any of that. I didn't live through the struggles and the uh, getting there and falling short year after year. But the Mavs and Dirk, I feel like that is my life, is through, you know, my sports life here is through the Mavs and Dirk. And so just to see him grow, and we watched and wondered if he could even develop into the guy to go to at the end of games. You know, will he be better than Michael Finley? Uh, can this ever be his team and all that. And then to see him grow and the 2006 finals and the many failures, the MVP year when they were the one seed, but they got bounced by Golden State, the eight seed. That, to me, makes this a lot of fun as we get to the uh, 2011 NBA playoffs. And when they all started, we didn't know how it would end. And I don't feel like I was – Or at least my memory doesn't have me really remembering the first series. And maybe not really even the second. It must be once they dispatched of the Lakers that, and since you guys are pulling audio from 2011, you'll be able to confirm or deny this. It feels like that will... It feels like that's when I really started to believe, probably, at least in my memory, like, wow, if San Antonio got bounced and they've dispatched the Lakers... Why not the Mavs? Like, who's the front runner now? Uh, certainly the Heat in the other uh, conference. But uh, so it's kind of fun going through these early uh, series, and I and I like just focusing on them a series at a time. So last week we did uh, the Portland series, that was uh, round one, and uh, now we're just starting. This is kind of our day. We're setting up the Lakers series, which even in my memory to be only the round two series seems early
1: but yeah i think are. that's common i do think most people casual fans would probably tell you that that was the western conference final yeah when in reality it was the western conference finals featuring the thunder uh really just for next week when we do that one we'll drive home how absolutely bat s nuts it is that a team that had james harden kevin durant russell westbrook and serge Ibaka on it did not win a title that I mean, they're three MVPs. On they only team, went like to one front. finals, right? Right. So, you know, they were still trying to figure out what to do with these huge claws at the end of their bare arms at that point, too. And as you mentioned, Memphis downs the Spurs in the first round. Uh, so, yeah, there is a little bit of why not us. I would still say that based on this audio that we're listening back to, uh, not a whole lot of confidence. Why would there have not been? Not yet. We're, we're, yeah. we're pre-LA
2: series here.
1: Yeah. And the other thing about yeah. it is, Keep in mind, in that first round series, a lot of the reason people doubted Dallas was because they had not been able to win on the road in the playoffs. Something like two and two out of their last nineteen. Uh, so they're two and seventeen since the '06 finals. And and so now you're the um, you're the road team in this series, right? Right. Yeah, the, you're the, the lower. Lakers seed. are the two seed. And if you go back again in those intervening years, obviously 2006 they're so the two seed, they lost to the Heat uh, in six. 2007, one seed, lost to the Warriors in the first round in six. 2008, four-seed, lost to the Hornets uh, in the first round in five. 2009, first year of Carlisle, they're the three-seed. They lose to the Nuggets in the second round in five. 2010, two-seed, lost to the Spurs in round one and six. And then in 2011, uh, they're the three-seed. But <laughs> there's nothing in that five intervening years that portended the absolute Hulk smash they were about to lay uh, on pretty much everybody. Uh, especially the day after, starting the day after that huge comeback win against Portland, I wanted to play a couple things for you from the game itself, uh, and then we can actually probably more, you know, go through the game uh, tomorrow. Uh, but spoiler, you know, the Mavs did win, but they also got down big in this game too. There was they played with fire a lot. Throughout so I'm looking at my
2: notes, and if we had all these doubts, and then going on the road, and this team we're playing says here Mavs called a timeout after they had two early turnovers to begin the second half. Yeah. 10-37, so that's a real early timeout. Uh, not even a minute and a half in, right, to uh, the quarter. They call a timeout. They're down 60-44. to
1: Yeah, and
2: to make They're matters. they driven. It said the Lakers are on a 22, uh, 21-2 run.
1: So to make matters worse, and we can do some of this again tomorrow, it's 47-42 LA with 30 seconds left of the first half. 40, what? 47-42. Oh, my God. And you're feeling pretty competitive. With 30 seconds left? Yeah, if you go back... How would they score that many (laughs) points? It's insane. And going to the break, the Mavericks... In two minutes,
2: or in less than...
1: Basically, each minute, wrapping around halftime, their lead went from 5 to 16. And the Mavericks looked like they were cooked. The body language was terrible. Here we are again. It was... there's There's so many here we are again moments uh and this was one of the biggest ones. So real quick I wanted to play a couple things for you. Uh do you remember that Steve Blake was on this uh was on this roster Dan? NBA journeyman um and you know, I can't say I remember anything
2: about Steve Blake.
1: Steve Blake uh Maryland,
2: right? Do I have that right? Yeah. Again, I don't really remember him existing.
1: Okay, a little so white, not, little white point I'm not guard. Really tell you where he went to school. Uh, oh, he's an Oak Hill guy. But he'd been on, he'd been in the league for seven. Oak Hill Academy. Yeah. Uh, for prep, but you know he's just a, a bounce around backup point guard. Um, I believe he was on the Clippers the year before this. Here's why I'm telling you this. I don't remember this at all, and I feel like you guys probably would have made fun of this on the air. Uh, at the time. We don't have audio of that, but this is very odd. Marv, I, we talked about the... By the way, Steve Kerr and Marv Albert on the call in game one.
3: Marv, I, we talked about the, the importance of the respective benches in this series. The Lakers bench has struggled the last month. Brown has been in a shooting slump. Blake had the chicken pox.
1: I'm sorry, what? <laughs> is he eight years old? Yeah, it's. I, I'm sure it's happened before, but I just... I don't recall hearing of many pro athletes missing time. I mean he's like 30. Barnes has been hurt. Marion but, with the putback.
5: of firing it up from three-point range with the shot clock running down. Two-second differential between the game clock and shot clock. Blake who's made it back from the chicken box. Chicken pots is what he said. Okay, so obviously a couple things. Not here. the chicken. Box.
1: By the way, you might have a problem on your hands because I think the dog just got one of my pieces of pizza. Oh no! And uh she, uh, she appears or he appears like he, I'm going to get bit if hey. I try. To... <laughs> <Hey>. <laughs> is, maybe, this... don't well, maybe don't let him eat the pizza. Don't let him eat the. This is more on dog part two. I'm sorry, I uh I had it over here and they got into my stuff. Right yeah, sorry. So the the upshot there is that uh. Steve Blake missed two games at the end of the regular season with chicken pox. He had
2: that whole thing in his mouth.
1: Yeah, I know. By the way. I know, I'm trying to press forward. You had it on the ground? Well, I had it in my thing on the ground, but, yeah, it was like in this, and this was slightly ajar. All right. Yeah, it's my bad. Sorry. I forgot there were animals up here. So, first of all, (laughs) Steve Blake is a – he's in the rotation for the Lakers at this point. The, I don't know, number one or number two sports franchise in the world, and misses time – with chicken pox, and then I don't know if Marv Albert knows what chicken pox are.
5: Two-second differential between the game clock and shot clock. The he's made it back from the chicken box. Chicken pox is what he said.
2: Yeah, it almost sounds like chicken box. Oh no, he said pox. Uh, he calls it the is. chicken
1: pox. No, that everyone everyone calls it the chicken pox, Marv. And then they put Steve Blake and Matt Barnes in a room together so they can can all get it. (laughs) Like, I believe that...
2: Pox party? Yeah. Remember kids? Because they have a vaccine for that now, right? Yeah. Because my kids have not gotten it, but I remember growing up, everybody got it. Right.
1: And I think if you get it, you can't get it again? I think that's usually the case, although I I do think in rare instances that does happen. But, again, guy with access to the best medical attention and care you probably could ever get. He lives the NBA player lifestyle, and he's got what, you know, he's suffering things that, like, Julie's five-year-old is getting right now, and it's taking him out of the end of uh, Lakers' regular season runs. And Marv Albert, I think, thinks that the word is chicken box. Um, Which is weird, because he's certainly old. Yeah. He's probably old enough to remember polio. (laughs) Or whatever. (laughs) Um so speaking of Matt Barnes there, there's a moment um, there's a moment here at the start of this game where Jason Terry and Matt Barnes kind of get mixed up a little bit, and it's mentioned that uh, they have a little bit of history. So here's that. Dallas and L.A.
5: as Jason Terry shoves Steve Blake to the ground. He did not like that. They're pushing and shoving. Matt Barnes and Steve Blake and the Mavs Jason Terry, Brendan Haywood all ejected from the game then. As Barnes did not like that assistant coach Terry Stotts had grabbed him. Stotts went down, led to Barnes being ejected.
1: So yeah, the And game, when was
2: that in the game?
1: Uh that was at the last time the two teams played at the end of March. Oh, okay. so it was like March 31st. Game 1 was May 2nd. And I put the video in there for you guys to see it. Jason Terry, pretty dirty foul on Steve Blake. Yeah. Matt Barnes gets, uh, you know, kind of P.O.'d. He comes over and tries to get in, bla- in Jets' face. Hayward gets involved. And at one point, Matt Barnes straight up throws Mavs assistant coach Terry Stotts to the ground. Uh, like Don Zimmer style. And got eject- uh, got ejected and got suspended one game one month before these two teams started playing. Okay. So, again... I don't remember that at all. Like, there's but a little bad blood before. here, and we didn't even know it. Right, and I've often, over the years, heard uh, Mark Falwell, who will rarely ever say anything bad about NBA, any NBA player at all, uh, just out of you know, respect for the brotherhood. I've heard him say before that, like, Matt Barnes is his least favorite basketball player of this era, and I have to figure the fact that he actually tossed Terry Stotts to the ground – uh, had something to do with it, I'd completely forgotten that. Completely forgotten it. Um, So, yeah, that happened uh, about a month before, so wonder, they, they've got bad blood there. What if we can look at Carlisle's,
2: you know how they talk about the Belichick coaching tree or whoever. I feel like Carlisle has a great one. Every yeah. time you're bringing up old names from the past, it's like, oh, he's a current or he's he was a head coach after that.
1: Yeah. Yeah, he's a... Uh... That, you don't hear about that quite as much in the NBA, but you're right. Who is the other one? That that he's had? Yeah. Uh, who was the Toronto coach that got unceremoniously
2: fired? Um, why am I blanking? I'm the NBA head
1: coach guy. Yeah, you are. Dwayne Casey. Dwayne Casey. Spells his um, name weird. Uh, no why. No why. So here's a little bit more on Matt Barnes, uh, just to let you know, because I we we all remember Powell. We all remember Bynum. We'll get to his cheap shot later. We all remember, uh, obviously, Kobe. I think I forgot how much I hated Matt Barnes at the time and that he was on this team. He moved around a lot, so I think I don't know that I ever really slot him with any one particular team, but he was heavily featured in this series as a guy that had plenty to say about the Mavericks and, again, was ready to fight. He was also on that Golden State team back from 07, Steve Kerr goes in on that here. Strong move
5: by Lamar Odom. Matt Barnes on that Golden State team coached by Don Nelson after he had left Dallas, and they came up with that playoff upset over
3: the Mariners. They had a physical team. You know, they had, when they would switch, you know, they would have, with with guards, they'd have Baron Davis guarding Dirk, so they really got underneath Dirk, but I think he adjusted and made a lot of strides since that series.
1: So, yeah, Matt Barnes wants to let everybody know, hey, we figured this dude out. Yeah, just get into him a little bit. He doesn't want it, and you know everybody was kicking Dirk when he was down after '07, and Matt Barnes was all too happy to join in on that parade. And now he's on this team, standing in front of Dirk, trying to get back to that uh, that that final round in that promised land. Man, I remember. And it makes me extra happy that Matt out, Barnes got his ass sent home. in four hours of time were spent on that on Dirk being too
2: soft or. You know, Van Axel came here, and before he was here, he he called them a bunch of soft white boys, I think. And obviously, Dirk is uh, pretty white, so he's, you know, that's he was the label of the team. Well, hell, I mean, do you remember
1: what that Carlisle called the team soft like three months before? Uh, during this particular season? Yeah. Uh, let's see. It was in March of 2011. It was and- always like, you know, how come a guy off the bench
2: has to be our toughest guy? Van Exel, a tiny guy, has to be, you know, one of the tougher guys. And that's when I thought – that's how I thought the Tyson Chandler thing changed things.
1: Yeah, like, there's no doubt. He's their badass, and he's out there all the time. It's not – yeah, it's not Stackhouse or – oh, Stackhouse is pretty bad, man. But oh well, no,
2: Stackhouse, same thing, though. Yeah. He's a guard. Right. Uh, Is your, you know, your fifth best player or something. I don't know.
1: Back in March 10th – or on March 10th, 2011, after uh, the Mavericks gave up a 10-point lead – to, uh, I want to say, the Hornets. Carlisle had this to say after the game. Soft. Yeah, the coach reiterated, soft. Players were asked about this. Tyson Chandler said, I wouldn't go that far. Jason Terry said, who said that? I'm not soft, not me. So I don't know where that comes from, but we ain't soft. We have to see how he meant soft in that aspect, but I know he was not talking to me personally or any of my my, uh, teammates because none of these guys are soft. So the month before the the run started, Carlisle publicly called out a team that ended up going through this gauntlet of monsters in the postseason. Called them soft. They're the third oldest team in the NBA. It isn't like he had to send a message to a bunch of kids,
6: mm-hmm.
1: and he he straight up called them soft. The reporter runs and goes tell to runs to go tell Jet that Jet's like, who are you talking about? Like I, he was offended. Like I just think people forget about stuff like like these term like sort of turmoil tumultuous moments on the way there because it's all
2: yeah once you win yeah it, it smooths over all the rough uh, things that happened throughout the year and had they get been bounced in the first round you would have pointed to that and said look at this dissension uh, problems uh, with the team throughout the year uh, but because they didn't you might point to that and say oh look at that Carlisle kind of firing up the troops there.
1: Master of puppets.
2: Getting them, uh, getting them defending themselves.
1: So that sets things up uh, to, uh, to, to pick up with Game 1 tomorrow. And again, to kind of go through how the Mavericks were able to get out of what we've already described as a 16-point hole on the road at Staples uh, in Game 1. Yeah, that's uh, so the Lakers series
2: from 2011. It's round two of the playoffs, and um, we are heading all the way through the finals. Uh, who will win? Well, we'll find out two weeks from now. All right, it's Dan and Jake from the Dragons Den. I don't get that liner at all. They have a colonel.
1: Well, I think if Never you're going you to if you're going to start you. with no, I was if if you're going to start with Donovan is a generally good guy, right? They're, okay. They called Norm the Colonel. So it sounds like you haven't been listening more. Touche. But Donovan's in general? He's got the curdle That's in place. But Donovan's higher ranking than Norm? Generally a good guy, but I don't know.
2: It's just too too deep. You know something? Too, too many levels of comedy for me to even understand.
1: Well, it's certainly not a clever radio... Accurate. What are they? Contraction. They said contraction, but it's actually an acronym. Acronym. But Bob it's and Dan. not an acronym it's, anymore. Now it's neither. Something we've been doing here on this clever, not an acronym, not a contraction, is going back through the Mavericks' 2011 uh, postseason run because Ooh, where's my notes? everybody remembers Love this uh, the finals. In fact, I believe those games were on NBA TV all day yesterday, and it was cool watching people live-tweet them. Um, I didn't want to be spoiled, <laughs> right? so I did not watch that. That's, well, we'll get to that in a few weeks. You. But I wanted to go back to the to the start and go back to what people were saying about the Mavericks even in the final month of the regular season. And just about everybody was predicting the Mavericks to certainly not make it out of the second round. And a lot of people picked them not making it out of the first round. Hell, Woj, who was with uh, Yahoo back then, Adrian Wojnarowski, picked a Portland sweep of the Mavericks, a three-seed against a six-seed in the first round. I've never seen that since then or before then, that someone who's that respected picks a sweep of a low-seeded team over, uh, like it, not, not the the Mavericks weren't an upstart. They had a lot of disappointing playoff, uh, appearances from 0-6 up until the championship run, but there was just no one believing in the Mavericks. And we've been going through some of the 2011 audio from Bad Radio, going through the games, got up to the uh the fourth quarter comeback, or excuse me, the fourth quarter, yeah, I guess comeback for the Blazers, uh, in Game Four to even that series, and Dallas really kind of seemed to use that. As a springboard of confidence and no, not this blanking time. We're not doing this again. We're not getting bounced in the first round. Or we're not getting beat by a team that we're better than. So they turn around, uh, win game five in Portland, win game six at home, and it's done for. So on to L.A. And as I was watching this game over the weekend, we talked about this a little bit yesterday. I had forgotten. We could do that a million different times throughout this series, right? But I had forgotten that a few weeks before the postseason started, in the final meeting between the Mavericks and the Lakers of the regular season, I think it was March 31st, eleven, the Mavericks got blown out by the Lakers. And in that game, Jason Terry had a hard foul on uh, Lakers backup guard Steve Blake. Matt Barnes came over and got in Jason Terry's face. And not a whole lot of other Mavericks came to the scene. Haywood kind of got in there a little late. Dirk slouched over a little bit. But it kind of had the feeling of the Lakers just showed the Mavericks who's boss here. And the next day on, I guess, TNT at the time, Chris Weber, of all people, uh, goes on a massive rant against the Mavericks. They're breaking down the play. And uh, I don't
2: That was April, you say?
1: Yeah, April of 2011. What I have of that is kind of a a YouTube version of it that's not very good. But suffice to say, he just completely destroys the Mavericks and says, this is what everybody would want to play this team right now. They're soft. All these guys who didn't come down to the baseline when this this, uh, scruff started should be fined. And, you know, no one wanted to hear it from Chris Webber. As, uh, as I believe Bob, Bob put it here, is we have some audio from the day after that game. And Bob is real, real out on the Mavericks, but he's not hearing this.
2: Boy, but let me just say this. How game... dare he say anything bad about the Mavs? <laughs> well, you
0: know what? Everyone should say something bad about the Mavs except him. <laughs> I agree. When it comes to soft, I don't need Chris Weber.
1: It was one of those, I can say that about my mom, but I don't want to hear it from you. Because up to that point of that comment, the whole show is like, boy, the Mavericks are just getting Bitch left, left and right. They don't have it. This and that. And then it's Chris Weber comes in and says exactly not only what everyone here was saying, but what Rick Carlisle had actually said three weeks earlier about his own team when he called them soft. But then Chris Weber makes national headlines with it. Cuban came to the defense a little bit um, because at that point Cuban was still talking. If you remember when the playoffs actually started, Cuban stopped. But so you go. See, I didn't remember that until somebody email
2: me hey that's another thing you guys haven't really mentioned is that that carlisle maybe put a muzzle on him just that was what was alleged that that he didn't think all his complaining every game was was helping them out any so cuban vowed like so this year was different
1: yeah and i haven't heard that in the broadcast yet i definitely know that you get more into that you hear a lot about it in the finals but maybe people just hadn't totally noticed it yet in rounds one and two, but it hasn't been like a big a big thing, but eventually it does become a huge thing uh, as the series or the run becomes even bigger but so again, things I had forgotten that part of the reason everyone had decided that the Mavericks had no shot this year was not only the past playoff failures, it was their own coach calling them soft at the beginning of March. Chris Weber making a huge deal out of this. The Mavericks and Dirk are soft deal at the end of March, whenever the Lakers felt like they had punked them. And morale on the station was extremely, extremely low. Uh, we go to the day after uh, that late regular season matchup and why everybody was so shook heading into uh, game one of round two.
0: Just not good enough, man. And this is why a couple of weeks ago I'm just like, you know what? I don't want to say it doesn't matter because I still want to see the games, but I'm guessing it's not going to matter. You can move around the pieces all you want. You can tell me Karan might be better ready to roll. You know. You can tell me Paige is here. You can tell me we're gonna play more blah, blah Go ahead. Try any combination you want. I don't think the Lakers are too worried about you.
1: <laughs> this is that was after the the uh... the late regular season game. Yeah, okay. and at that point it kind of started to look like because that was the uh, game that gave the Lakers the season series. And it kind of started to look like in the standings that they were going to end up being a second-round So that's matcher. why we were even doing that. Yeah, I mean. and it became a talking point of why even – you have no shot in the playoffs because there's L.A. looking for their third straight title, and they're just going to absolutely truck you. So once the Mavericks lost that, uh, people thought the season was over. Here's the final cut from uh, from the, the day after that regular season game, about uh, three weeks before the playoffs started. Maybe it's the
0: symbolic ending of hockey and, to some extent, basketball last night. It. The symmetry
2: Wow, oh, let's not end basketball yet. I ended it a month ago. See, that's ridiculous. See what I did there, groups Totally. I might give you like... Because his name is Dirk, and it fits in with ridiculous. And it's crazy what Bob
0: just said. I'm pretty sure I'm prepared to give you 10, 10 to 1 odds if you want for Mavs playoff betting. What do you mean? Just saying, dude. Like that they'll get out of the first round? Well, to get out of the second. I think get out of the first round has been moved to even money in my casino. Wow.
2: Let's not be so negative. Let's look forward to a long run. I've been, I've been positive. A, you never know. I've been positive about the Mavs. Tyson for, Chandler, dog. For a decade. Where did it get me? Tyson Chandler is the difference. Tyson a little Chandler, off last night.
0: Tyson Chandler has not unpacked his suitcase because he can't wait to go somewhere else this summer. There. I said it. Come on.
2: Mark Cuban has shown that he will spend stupid money on any big man that shows anything, and Tyson Chandler has shown more than any big man you've seen in a decade here so far. I hope so. I hope so.
1: How's your heart, bud?
2: So Mark Cuban didn't open his wallet for that one. Now the, F- lo- the lockout well, you know, started probably, and everything. But well, it's probably because he just didn't live up to expectations.
1: Yeah, I mean, they the couldn't team, get it done. The team failed. <laughs> I mean, obviously, with my history of this, it's... It sounds funny, but you saying, come on, dude. There's a zero. Of course. They are not going to let this guy. Right. He's been
2: so good all year. They just gave Brendan
1: Haywood like $15 million (laughs) a year to be a backup. You're never going to
2: let Tyson Chandler walk. You're
1: like, he's the difference, and there's no way he'll ever get out of here. Come on, dude. It's Cuban. It's Cuban. And Bob's like, this guy can't wait to get out of here fast enough, which kind of ended up happening. But for the totally different reason. He didn't want to get out of here fast enough. No. He wanted to stay. So, uh, obviously, you were right. Tyson did end up being a huge difference uh, in that run. And in this game in particular, because as we talked about a little bit yesterday, the Mavericks got down early in Game 2 as much as, I think, like, I don't know, it was 19 to... Game 2. Excuse me, Game 1. 19 to 12 early. They were down by 16 at one point, I believe. Okay, so
2: That's my notes. How they got? I down. have the notebook from that from 2011.
1: So follow this amazing stretch, which I'm positive you have in your notes. This is how they got down that much. So they're kind of going back and forth in the second quarter, and uh, the Lakers go up 43-42 with a minute 45 to play in the half, and they're kind of trading buckets back and forth. At the half, a minute and a half later, it's 53-44. Because Jason Terry fouls Lamar Odom. At this point, the Lakers are up 49-44 with three seconds left. The Lakers inbound the ball. Jason Terry fouls Odom on a beyond-half-court heave. They get three free throws out of that. On the last free throw, Dirk is so pissed, and the Mavericks are going to have .7 seconds left here. Dirk commits a lane violation, elbows someone in the face. Kobe takes the uh technical foul shot now it's 53 44 when a minute and a half ago it was a two-point game and it looks like the wheels are falling all the way off so i have written down uh
2: a good bad just before half uh good Dirk goes to the hole to end a laker run and uh ends his personal drought that he was in and then i have bad jet silly foul on odom half court attempt at buzzer more bad, Dirk fouls our test, elbow technical.
1: So, And the vibe was, we are done. Yeah. We're doing it again. So, let's start the second half with the quick Mavericks having to call a timeout at the 10.37 mark next. Somehow, they got up off the mat. Hey, one hour from now, I will let you know,
2: well, you already know, Jake. But now we're doing radio show. So I'm letting everyone know that we're going to wrap up the Tiger King. Great documentary. We started it last week. We uh, probably invented watching it, mm-hmm. to tell you the truth. Nobody really knew about this little underground thing on this uh, tiny thing called Netflix until we started uh, reviewing them. But uh, we're going to wrap it all up with a big blowout, two segments. One hour from now, Tiger King.
1: Can't wait. Back to Jake. All right, yes, we are going through the Mavericks-Lakers second-round series in 2011. Uh, a couple other things here to get us back up to the point where we were, where it looked like the Mavericks were all but done in game one on the road. And really at every single turn of this series, up until pretty much the Mavericks are – I don't know, maybe even like up in game five of the finals. It really does seem like everybody that I go back and listen to talking about this team, whether it's you guys, whether it's other NBA talking heads, or it's the people on the on the calls themselves, everyone is waiting for the other shoe to drop. And that was fair because, as we said before we started this series, I found some odds that listed the Mavericks uh, as the fifth best ch- uh, chance to win the title heading into the postseason that year. But now I have found some other ones here that uh, P1 Jonathan sent to me from sportsoddshistory.com where they uh, hold on to these things historically. And if you go through here, they have the Mavericks at the 7th uh, best odds in the league to win that year despite being the 3 seed at with 57 ween, uh, wins uh, in the uh, regular season and going I think it was 2-7 and seven in the games where Dirk was gone that year. But this website tracks this as the worst titles' odds entering the playoffs for any NBA champ on record. Oh, yeah? So that's... Entering the playoffs. Right. Not at the beginning right. of the season. Right, entering the playoffs. And it also, uh, he did a little, you know, looked at their the schedule, like the quality of opponent based on everyone they played, and they do like a little, you know, strength of schedule thing. And the Mavericks had the third toughest strength of schedule Uh, of anyone in history, and a huge part of that was the Lakers, who, again, they may have had 57 wins and were the two-seed, but the Lakers were gunning for a third straight finals, and it looked like they were headed for it, especially when San Antonio got bounced in the first round. So as we were uh, discussing in the last segment, game one, second quarter, pretty close game. It's 43-42 Lakers with a minute and a half left to play in the second quarter. In the blink of an eye, after dumb fouls by jason terry and dirk it's 53 44 at the half and a couple of big makes from Powell and kobe later the mavericks are calling timeout a minute and a half into the second quarter or the second half down 60 44 on the road and kobe has the look you know the one—the <laughs> one we became all too familiar with—and he's given the slow fist shake after every make. And What it just time in the like. game? So Carlisle called timeout at ten thirty-seven okay. left in the third quarter. Because I have noted 60, forty-four. Kobe just drilled a three. I have noted
2: Kobe is getting interested again.
1: Yeah, and it does not look. It does not look like Dallas is going to be able to get up. But then I have down fourteen. Down, it's Corey Brewer time. Does that happen? Uh, well, Corey Brewer did have a huge three. Because, see, it's almost like when I tell you that it was 60-44 to 44, yeah. and that a few minutes later it was 66-63, you think that it was probably some sort of Golden State-like run like we see now where it's just bang, 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 clay, step, step, threes, yeah. I mean, that really wasn't the case. The Mavericks made three threes in the third quarter. So it was a chip away? Yeah. But one of them was from Corey Brewer, a three from Corey Brewer, and that made it 64-61, five and a half left to play in the third. Phil calls a timeout, and it's basically game on. Um, But interestingly enough, the Mavericks did not lead in this game until Dirk goes to the line and hits two free throws to make it 95-94 with 19 seconds left. That's their only lead in the second half. They did briefly have that aforementioned lead in the second quarter, but this was not like they were trading buckets once Brewer put them down 3, 64, 61, and it's here's the Mavericks by 3, Lakers by 3. They were down the entire second half. And it just sort of, you know, Dirk had a huge fourth quarter. Uh, but, I mean, the Mavericks were down uh, five points with five minutes left to play in this game, and you're still thinking, like, there's just no way. But this was not a,
2: in LA. Not in LA. The not, defending champs. Kobe
1: had 15 points in the third quarter alone.
2: I mean, a lot of times these things are you you bring it down to the two crunch time players, right? Who are you going to bet on at that, at that point? Dirk, who has had nothing but playoff failure in his career, or Kobe, a man who is just driven. He's now playing history. He's not playing you. He's playing Michael Jordan's titles. You know. So, there's no way I would have been optimistic at that point.
1: Maybe you even take it over to Phil and Carlisle. And Phil was heavily criticized in this game. Because, like I said, Dirk had 11 in the fourth quarter, but he played almost the entire quarter. Kobe only played six minutes in the fourth quarter, as Phil stubbornly trusted his bench, which was basically garbage compared to the Mavs bench. And... Didn't put Kobe back in until basically it was too late. And the Mavericks bench unit was able to beat up on the Lakers bench unit, and then the starters even summed to a certain extent too because Kobe, you know, there's no reason Kobe should have only got 6.38 and Powell too, for that matter, in the fourth quarter. So
2: And he, and he missed a three at the buzzer? Yeah. And that's, so the Mavs won?
1: The Mavs end up winning 96-94 after Dirk gets 11 in the fourth quarter. And again, they were down 16 points just a minute and a half into the second half. And again, it could have been another o s same old Mavericks type moment, but it was not
2: yeah that's it's incredible, especially to win
1: on the road. Game
2: one on the road had to be huge, of course, game two, which you will get to, they
1: ended up winning, right?
2: yeah, but that uh, one wasn't <laughs> that
1: one wasn't particularly close, <laughs> uh, but, and that's
2: obviously a big shock, yeah, but how
1: important was that game one? Especially that you got down big and you saw the look in Kobe's eye and you still didn't lose. So uh, I think, again, we all look back at the Lakers series and we remember game four. We remember the massacre. We remember all the threes. We remember Bynum taking a run at Berea, et cetera. But, again, I think people forget the Mavericks were down 16 in the second half at Staples in game one. Yet another here-we-go-again type moment, and they said No. So there you go. Mavericks end up getting that one. 96-94. Uh, huge night from Dirk. So this is a good bit. I like it. I like that you started it
2: last week, and it's just helping me relive my the greatest sports memory I, have, I ever have that I've been associated with is uh, certainly because of the way it ended up, and uh, I'll bet the Mavs are going to win this thing. I like the Mavs to win this thing. So last night, apparently, I did see it on, uh, a little on Twitter, but I didn't tune in myself because I'm... I'm pacing myself. Everybody's struggling to show which game or review old games and stuff like that. So apparently NBA TV was airing a Mavs finals game against the Heat. You say it was game five, game four?
1: I think they might have marathoned it all day. Oh, just run the whole
2: series? Yeah. Um, well, did you see the other TiVo news regarding basketball, if we're talking basketball? Which is the uh, highly anticipated uh, documentary, "The Last Dance," a Michael Jordan document? Is this just Michael Jordan, or is it Bulls overall? Do I, think I, it? I think you guys know. I think it's, it's their over.
1: last championship. Yeah, the Bulls' last championship with Jordan.
2: Wow, it's that long because it's a ten-part documentary. And are we to believe each episode is one hour? Okay. I should have my uh, act together a little bit better than this. Well, I swear I read uh, one thing. I read it was uh, a 10-part, 20-hour documentary. Uh, Right here what I'm looking at is the schedule, which lists uh, they're going to start airing it Sunday, April 19th, with the first two episodes, and air two episodes per week for five weeks. Uh, but they're airing uh, one starts at 9, uh, 8 p.m., one starts at 9 p.m., so that does not indicate to me that would be a two-hour-per-episode uh, per episode
1: documentary, correct? Yeah, that's weird. Have you read it was 10, 10 parts, 20 hours? Yeah, that's what, I mean, Adam Schefter tweeted, I think, is maybe this morning, finally some good news. ESPN is moving up the launch date of The Last Dance, a 10-part, 20-hour documentary on Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls. Okay, well, look at the uh, Richard
2: Deitch, 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 Athletic article today. Uh, See that list episode. The premiere is uh, 8 p.m. Sunday the 19th. Uh, The next one will be 9 p.m. Sunday the 19th. So they have to be one hour each. It must be 10 parts, 10 hours.
1: Well, the good thing is that they're not putting them all out at once.
2: Because then you would feel forced to watch it as fast as you can.
1: Well, I wouldn't. I think I like I told you about stand up or whatever. And look, we're still working, right? But I like the the communal thing, especially when it's a sports thing. And as made sports exacerbated is the, more before by not having games. Yeah. yeah,
2: sports used to be our only communal thing, right? So or, you know, The Bachelor, I suppose, for you. That's
1: true. <laughs> very true that's probably why i do it it's something that you can know what people are talking about and make jokes about but i think it's if it's a drama that's one thing but i i think game of thrones and stuff like we're going to miss that <laughs> and uh yeah i don't want people to be like all the way ahead of us just because they don't have a kid and they don't you know they're not having work time i think um... i want to consume it together What's that show? True
2: Detective with Chris Rock. I think that's kind of in the can and about to come out. Fargo. Fargo. Oh, okay. Um, that's the one with Chris Rock. All right. So, yeah, that's I believe about totally to be released. totally And that's a weekly bit.
1: Oh, you may be. He may be in both.
2: Nah. Is twenty twenty the year of Chris Rock?
1: Okay, I know he's in Fargo season 4. I know Okay, well that then
2: for that sure. has that has to be what I'm thinking. Okay, yeah. I tell
7: the same jokes as Chris Rock.
2: <laughs> I don't know that he's in True Detective, but um, you know, all the actors look alike. Yee. In True Detective and Fargo is what I was kind of going for. All right, so that's oh a, that's a little uh, good documentary news. We here at my household the last 6 nights in a row have watched Breaking Bad. We've started that series. Oh, have you restarted it? And I'm reading the Alan Sepinwall companion piece book, where he put together all his old uh, reviews of the show, and then added in some notes afterwards too. But it's all—it's actually a book you can read, and it's not a spoiler, so I'm—I don't like it as much as I once watched The Wire for a second time, and Sepinwall had a great blog out. Which was, he rewatched The Wire. So then ap- after episode one, he would write his review, but it would be, uh, he would say, okay, that guy you saw right there, uh, like riding his bike, he's going to kill Omar in season four. Or Whoa. he's going to, you know. What, do you think I just did a spoiler, or are you saying, whoa, what great information that he gave?
1: Well, I mean, a lot of people are trying to get caught up on shows they've never he seen would before, hypothetically, so there's a sensitive time to not drop a huge plot talk, I'm going
2: to tell you what, everybody in The Wire dies. Everybody in The Wire Dude. dies. You don't want to get into that uh, line of work.
1: No, it does seem to be a bit perilous. So let's continue to work through Mavericks 2011 postseason run. This has been really fun. Do a series a week. Um, and I think that if you wanted to put a uh, a subheading on Mavs' 2011 postseason run, for me it would be, man, I forgot about that. Uh, there were several moments like that in the first series against Portland. Anytime you think Portland, you think, boy, they blew that game four lead, and then uh, I guess they kind of eked out that series over the next two games. No, they um, they sh- they very easily could have lost game one. Maybe less so, but could have lost game two at home. Uh, and game four was not only, yes, it was a calamitous collapse, but it was also the turning point of this because the Mavericks, I believe, had lost something like 17 of their last 19 home games, or excuse me, road games in the playoffs heading into the 2011 postseason. The next two they won were after uh, game four in, uh, against Portland, game Game six in that series to close out and then game one of the LA series. So as we left off yesterday, they're up one oh. They've won back to back playoff road games. And But eek that one out. Eked that one out and We're we're trailing big in game one. So sixteen point deficit mid uh minute into the third quarter. Kobe has the look in his eye. It looks like the Mavs have been punked yet again, just like they were by the Lakers a month before at the end of the regular season. Uh, Two months before uh, that, Rick Carlisle calls him soft. Uh, In the run-up to the post, Chris Weber calls him soft. That goes whatever the 2011 version of viral is. We're listening back to bad radio that day, and Bob could not be more down in the dumps and felt like he had fallen for the banana in the tailpipe. One too many times to put up with it this time. And your counter to that was, yes, but we have this guy now. This guy being Tyson. And they battled back in Game 1. Dirk gave him a huge fourth quarter. The Lakers go cold. And they get Game 1. And it didn't... It still didn't really seem like anybody believed this was possible after Game 1. Because Game 1 was... Kind of classified as a, the Lakers gave that one away. They really kind of folded in the fourth quarter and just could not buy a bucket. I mean, they, nobody could could hit uh, on the Lakers, and so it's like, okay, the Mavericks they they gave them one. They you know this is still going to be a trouncing, uh, as we said the, uh, yesterday too. Thirteen of nineteen experts, uh, quote unquote, on ESPN.com picked the Lakers. So. We go to game two, and this is a really fun game um, because – go just ahead. To, yeah. I thought you said everybody picked the Lakers. So of the top six, I guess, which were – okay, maybe 13 of 19 was the first round. It was, was Portland. Portland. Yeah. yeah, so 13 of 19 – You said
2: not one person believed that the yeah. Mads would get through the defending champs, and I believe that for sure.
1: Yeah, who were going for their third straight. Yeah. Uh, yeah, 13 of 19 picked Portland despite the fact they were a sixth seed. In the first round. And Woj picked uh, Portland to sweep Dallas. Yeah. If you think you've ever heard of a time of somebody picking a six seed to sweep a three seed. uh, That's probably the only time. So, yeah. We get to game two. And uh, this is a super fun game to watch. Side note. I really miss how good Steve uh, Kerr was on color. He's a fun listen, man. Especially whenever I contrast him with uh, uh, Van Gundy and Mark Jackson. I think are pretty awful. Van Gundy's a nice guest on a radio show. I don't think he does great color. Uh, But Steve Kerr does a really, really solid job there. So, uh, important to remember, Dallas had won one playoff series in the last four years coming into this one. That's it. Everything else. So, since they were in the finals. Yeah. Yeah, everything else first round. And you're going up against the two-time repeat champs going for three. Yeah. Rather than just walk through the like specific play-by-play of this game, let's just get right to the, to the point. J.J. Barea was the effing man in this game. And if you watch the way the Mavericks play offense, yes, it was only 10 years ago. But their version of what they did on offense, particularly when Barea and Terry were on the floor together, looks so much like what most teams do in 2011. Now, they're not taking as many threes, obviously, but what they do is they put shooters in the corner and they run the pick and roll almost dang near out to midcourt. You know, they're trying to set the screen and roll as far away from the action as possible, put Peja in one corner, put Terry in another, and let's just either let Tyson roll or Dirk pop. and the Lakers have absolutely no answer for it. And
2: I see on my notes early in the 2nd, Phil needed a because he couldn't believe Berea just went to the rim and finished twice in a row and just obviously Berea was under their skin. It says here Artest elbowed him in the head and got ejected.
1: Now that was with like ten seconds left in the game. Okay. So Artest actually got um But Berea's in their in their thoughts for sure. Artest actually got suspended over that. Oh yeah? I think that's uh that was in this game.
4: Yeah, and 2011 Bad Radio said that might actually help the Lakers that he's missing time for him.
1: Well, the broadcast said that in Game Three too. I'm pretty sure because um, Bynum started, and you know Bynum or no, uh, Odom started, and I think Odom won Sixth Game of the Year, uh, Sixth Man of the Year that season. So it's reasonable to think that having Ron Artest out, much like if Deshaun would have got suspended, some Mavs fans might have said, "No, this guy's kind of killing us a little bit here." Yeah. But Berea just starts to go off. They cannot contain him. He's just going to the rim time after time after time. And man, this was like, this is like the moment. You know, he had some moments later too, but that the, particularly in the fourth quarter when they just absolutely could not stop him. Uh, to me, this is what solidified the the JJ Berea just legendary status. And whether it was, uh, you know, I think he had four assists in the fourth quarter. He also had four th- uh, free throws in the fourth quarter had a couple of uh, hockey-style assists where he would get to the rim, dish to uh, Haywood, and he would find a shooter. Berea took over this game, and it, in a weird way, Phil Jackson was so frustrated in this game that it made more sense to me that he retired after this series, <laughs> after Game 2, than it did after Game 4. Game 4 was a bloodletting, a complete just drubbing of the Lakers, but Game 2 felt like a tactical... Dare I say, this game has passed me by type thing. Because the Lakers flat out look poorly coached against a team playing like the Mavericks are playing. He's yelling at one point at Bynum and Gasol. I posted a picture on Twitter of this this morning because... Was it last series or was it game one where Blake found Spaulding, who we only knew then as Jerry's grandson in the crowd?
4: It was the Portland series.
1: Okay, yeah, because they were at home. Uh, I saw Jerry Jr., who I only really know what he looks like from all or nothing and maybe draft day he's sitting two feet from phil and phil has his finger in bynum's chest and gasol looks terrified and van gundy said this is the maddest i've ever seen phil in all my years knowing him and they just look like this is in this game they look like the better team the better coached team by far the deeper team the mavericks led the nba in bench scoring during the regular season which is something they've been around the top five in forever. That's always been a priority for them. The Lakers were, I think, 18th this season. And the fact that Phil could not stop Dirk, okay. The fact he couldn't stop Berea, it might have driven him, coupled with Gribble, to the old folks home. I have notes that he was
2: jawing, or Odom was jawing at him on the sideline, and (laughs) Phil was having none of it.
4: Yeah.
1: They were in complete disarray.
4: Which is shocking because they'd come off three straight finals appearances. It's not like they were years past their prime. Everyone thought that they were just headed straight back to the finals.
2: Yeah, I don't. That's a good point. But probably at the end of it, he knew this thing's done. Yeah, this this dynasty is over. And but still,
4: I'm, though,
1: man, you got you're you're only down one zero going into this game. The Spurs have been eliminated as the one seed, and they just folded from late from that fourth quarter in game one. Until the way that this game, two unfolded. And I really do think having the irritant of J.J. Barea just go to the rim over and over and over. And Bill's just like, I don't, I don't know. Tell him I ain't got it. The Lakers hit their first three of the game with two and a half minutes left. I do have a note in the third they were 0
2: of 11 from three. Yeah. So they were chucking them up.
1: Yeah, I think they actually started 0 for 15 on the game.
2: And I also do note, you could tell me what the numbers end up saying. Uh, that Kobe is elevating Dirk's play, that Dirk answers
1: every Kobe shot. Yes. So it wasn't necessarily huge numbers from Dirk throughout the game. He did have ninth and the fourth, uh, nine of 32 on the game, but it was more just the way that they were dueling back and forth. And, you know, it it as you guys pointed out a couple times and listening back to your show from the next day, they had answers. They had answers over and over and over because the Mavericks went to the break Uh, Down four in this game, 51-47. They tied it at 62, late in the third, but then, you know, they're down eight with eight minutes left in the fourth quarter. They didn't lead in the fourth quarter until, uh, basically, they took the lead with a minute left, 93-91, and they ended up winning uh, 98-92. So, I mean, they were down most of this game, but... They were not, they was, you know, it was a very tight kind of back and forth type thing. And every single time the Lakers would start to pull away, either Dirk would hit something huge or Berea would go to the rim. And they just couldn't stop him. A couple quick things from the game here. Um, we've talked a lot about the whole soft thing. Chris Weber said it. Carlisle said it. Matt Barnes said it. Everybody's sick of talking about it. Um, here's a little bit from Kidd and then the response of Tyson Chandler. You know, at the
5: end of the day, you have to win a championship.
0: I mean, you now when you look at the teams that have won. They're not soft. And so uh, for us,
3: um, that's the only way we might be able to get rid of that, that label as being soft. It was interesting, this, this whole soft thing that, that everybody talks about. Tyson Chandler yesterday said, you know, I'm, I'm really sick of the soft label that we have. But then he admitted, he said, when I was with New Orleans, I thought they were soft, too. So, yeah, I mean, he's trying his best to personally change that,
1: I guess. Yeah, we were able to. Pretty much throw him around whenever we kind of do a series with him. So,
2: really Yeah, but now he's here.
1: Yeah. That's what makes him not soft.
2: Yeah. His presence, him behind, you know, the last, last uh, line of defense.
1: And you guys talked about that a little bit the next day. Uh, I thought this was really
0: cool. The Dirk thing, he didn't change in the sense that we've seen him score 50 in the playoffs, we've seen him score 40, we've seen him dominate games, and again, I remind you of that Denver series where the Mavs were humiliated by Denver. Really humiliated. But Dirk was awesome every game offensively. So that hasn't changed. He's hit impossible shots for years and years and years. What may have changed, though, is that leadership alpha male sort of thing. And maybe he's not an alpha male. Maybe that's mislabeled because I think that does go directly back to Tyson. When Tyson's standing next to Dirk, there's such a different Dirk there than when Dampier's standing next to Dirk. So... I don't know. Does Tyson channel confidence into Dirk that he knows it's not just me and this moron standing next to me, or like I, Dirk I, is I, like I, the
2: basketball ability alpha male, and the alpha male leader is Chandler. Like it's, it's <laughs> like Dirk always has scored twenty five and ten,
1: but now he knows it. It's kind of subjective, but it's the only evidence we really have to point to.
2: It's why at the end of this run or even probably at the end of the regular season, I was hoping Tyson Chandler would be a part of things from here forward because we finally found that fit you know dirk Dirk is not LeBron who can also be the best defender on the floor or and, even like
1: duncan if you want to use a big
2: yeah he's you know he can be passable, but it, it was like you needed the parts to fit. And he certainly could be the best player on a championship team, as we found out. But Tyson finally fit. They finally found a big man that fit. And everybody fit together right there. And then they let him walk. But that's a spoiler. And i
1: we're focusing on the positives right now. Uh, you were definitely focusing on the positives here the day after the Mavericks went up 2-0. And you are lucky Nobody made a bigger deal out of this.
0: It's Mavs, it's Lakers, it's the very unlikely 2-0 lead heading back to Dallas. The lead is with the Mavs. It's crazy,
2: yo. Will the uh will the uh, the flatbed truck with the players on it pass by the Ozona here where Don't be a jerk.
1: <laughs> After Laura Miller in 06, you could oh, not I'm talking about the parade, you could not wait to fly that. Birdie close to the sun and see if we can make parade jokes.
2: <laughs> that's the old me. I wouldn't do that now.
1: Speaking of that's the old me, I wouldn't do that now. Uh, because he did ball out, particularly in the fourth quarter, J.J. Berea was the post-game interview with uh, Cheryl Miller. J.J. Berea really dates himself, a la Eric Cartman here, for a term... That this doesn't fall under, I forgot this. I definitely forgot this, as J.J. Barea was trying to talk like the hip kids back in 2011.
8: J.J., you absolutely just sifted through the Lakers' defense. What were they giving out there? Well, it was open. My big guys were setting hella screens, and we got <laughs> Hella.
1: <Okay. laughs> I'll, 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 I'll call my own foul here. Uh, here I definitely had a three or four year run of using hella i think this though is
2: what started us starting to kind of use it comedically <laughs> yeah and i put it was in my jj song eventually oh that's after right they won the title
1: it's so so carbon
2: because he was the first guy i heard say hella
8: well it was open my big guys were setting hella screens and we got shooters spaced <laughs> so out <for> so sure. i
2: <laughs> did we spend a lot of time on that that day or <laughs> on the fact that he said that it would seem like that would be something
1: we'd focus on. You might have to defer to Blake there.
4: But... No, you spent more time on Phil Jackson post game and just how upset he was.
1: Yeah, yeah. Here's a little. Was taste. he pissed? Here's a tiny little taste of that. He was, was he upset. A, he was in a much uh, better mood after Game Four, whenever there was some finality to it. Uh, when he met Scoops, here he's just not really feeling it.
8: Talk about um, how difficult it was to guard uh, Dirk tonight.
0: Um, it was difficult to guard Dirk tonight. Thank
1: you. <laughs> but if you if you lob up a talk about
2: yes, that's that's write my article for me.
8: That's exactly what <laughs> talk you about said. About,
4: um, how difficult it was to guard uh, Dirk tonight.
5: Um, it was
1: difficult to guard Dirk tonight. Thank
4: <laughs> you. You went on to say that same exact thing. The the reporter wants him to write their article for him.
1: Yeah, it's just there's a million other ways you can phrase that question. So miraculously, somehow, after two games, hella cool, the Mavs are up 2-0 on the Lakers. Headed back to Dallas, and uh, we'll knock out Game Three in a segment tomorrow. Mino, tell me what the rest of that liner says. Oh, I don't know. You, you, you doing okay, buddy? Sure. <laughs>
6: There's
1: a lot going on in here today. I heard they call him the Hardline, and that's good info. That's all you really need to know. I just didn't hear any more from the liner other than they call him the hard line. What happened? Did an old liner? No, I just think Mino tried to get slick with a dirty sound, and it...
3: Oh, <laughs> that part hit. Yeah.
1: <laughs> you got the point off the ground. 12.55 here on Bad Radio Plus, Bad Radio Soft, Bad Radio Extra Care. Dan and Jake live from the Dragons' Den. And, um, uh, and Bodie joins us this segment as well. Yeah, we got a little co-host. So, uh, yes, we are going through the Mavericks 2011 playoff run. Um, round one against Portland was real fun because we hadn't really thought about that series outside of the Brandon Roy show in the fourth quarter of Game 4 where Portland came back from down 23, beat the uh, beat the Dallas Mavericks and gave us another here-we-go-again moment. Mavericks then immediately put the Blazers to sleep, including a road win in Portland, Game 6. They're just absolutely atrocious on the road over the last five years in the playoffs, but they, they silenced the Blazers there in Game 6. We head to uh, the Lakers. matchup, both teams with 57 wins, but the Lakers won the regular season series 2-1, so they had the home court in the second round of the playoffs. And in that regular season matchup, in the final meeting in March, uh, there was a bit of a dust-up at the end of the game. The Lakers were blowing the Mavericks out. Jason Terry with a hard foul on Steve Blake. Matt Barnes comes over, kind of gets in... uh, gets in Jets' face, and no one really came to defense too much. And this led to uh, Chris Weber going off on TNT about how the Mavericks are soft, Uh, listening back to 2011 bad radio audio, uh, and Bob just saying, look, it's it's over. This team does not have the heart for it. And that's exactly what it looked like. It looked like it was more of the same. Mavericks had been bounced uh, in the first round all but one time dating back to the the debacle in 06 in the finals. They had been bounced the year before in the first round. The Lakers had won two straight finals. It's Kobe, it's Phil, etc. So game one in L.A., the Mavericks are down big in the third quarter, 60-44 to 44 after a disastrous end of the first half, disastrous start to the second half, and they sort of chipped away at it. Uh, really kind of... Culminating in a Corey uh, Corey Brewer corner three that made it, I think, 64-61. And from there, they just kind of traded buckets. And uh, the Mavericks ended up winning game one, 96-94. That was kind of characterized as a the Lakers gave that one away type game, though. Even listening back to the show afterward, uh, after game one, no one was really giving the Mavericks credit for that one. It just turned into the Mavericks uh, were the beneficiaries of the Lakers offense just completely dying. That's what happened in game one. In game two, uh, the Mavericks had a pretty substantial lead in the fourth quarter, got up as much as, I want to see 82-69 to as uh, as per the Barea show. J.J. Barea, MVP of game two. And he was really frustrating Phil Jackson. You could tell that Phil just didn't have an answer. And Barea is that type of guy who, when you don't have an answer for him, it bothers you even more. If Dirk gets his and you can't stop the one-legged from the elbow, okay. But Berea, kind of exposing one of the best coaches (laughs) in the history of the league. Phil just looks so pissed. And then we go to Game 3. And what I want to kind of focus on in Game 3 is... We all know what happened in Game 4 with the blowout. But in Game 3... It's like Phil it finally set in for him that this is going to happen. You know, because Game 1, games 2, game and Game 3 ends up being a close loss. Game 3 is close down to the end. We'll get to that in a second. But we all think back to the end of Game 4 and the blowout after the Mother's Day massacre and 1920s reporter guy, and Phil is in seemingly a great mood, kind of just resigned to, hey, whatever happens, happens. But in Game 3 in Dallas, they're still kind of in the mindset of, this is not going. This is not happening. We're not losing the to the Mavericks. Champs. We're yeah. still the two-time defending champs. I'm still Phil Jackson. You're still the Mavericks. You're still J.J. Barea. And uh, I want to play a little bit of bad radio from before Game 3. Now, I think if you keep in mind, Game 3 was a Friday. Game 4 was a Sunday, Mother's Day. So we don't have anything for after Game 3, before Game 4. But this is you guys uh, before, I want to say before Game... Why is this not hot dog? Yeah, I think it's
2: totally hot dog. Let me give you a time stamp on where we are in history, too. Because my notebook from 2011, Here it is. Yeah. I have game one, I have game two notes. Then I have a page of notes on Osama bin Laden being captured. Yeah, the Sunday then, before. Then we get to game three. So it's right there all together, I guess.
4: Yeah, and I think maybe
1: the draft was somewhere mixed in here at the end of this series. So the, it's like- The
4: draft was in the Portland series. Okay. Okay. And so then, it's like the lot
1: going on. The most historic run in recent Dallas sports memory, but it's mixed in with uh what? Mo Claiborne? Who did Ty- it? Have been? Uh, Tyron. Tyron Smith and Osama Bin Laden. Bob <laughs> like, was know, very guys, upset
4: about taking Bruce Carter in the second round.
1: <laughs> but and you got, and happening in the backdrop of this is the Mavericks, you know, right. Had to we the top. known you know, this we could do Bin Laden at two thirty. This is the the climb to
2: the mountain right. we've never been to before. We probably would have paid more close attention to this.
1: And I'll give you credit and less to Bruce Carter. You were, you were probably the most confident out of anybody I've gone back and listened to. And it was all about Tyson. But this is after uh, the Mavericks have put the Lakers in a two uh, zero hole, headed back to Dallas. I mean, this is a huge oh my God, Dan.
4: Yeah, it's not I'm that easy, it, is it? Pal.
1: I'm gonna lose it, pal. What's the is thing? it plugged in?
8: It builds up, dude. Did you we were, check
2: it during the break? We were really just humming. Let's you try didn't it, check it during the I break. I mean, this well, is a huge yeah. <laughs> game as far as. I was gonna
0: say, do you want to be the guy? Can that... you
2: just put them away? Where they seem to be imploding, they're infighting. Uh, they all hate our test. They're probably glad he's suspended. <laughs> uh, Odom's not happy. Uh, Kobe is shooting, although his numbers are good. You know, percentage-wise and stuff, he seems to be taking a ton of shots, and is that rubbing the rest of the team the wrong way?
0: No, if they're not used to that. Yeah, then.
2: <laughs> I know, but he comes out of a game with 29 shots, and
1: if they don't win... So, the infighting thing. It's definitely happening. Odom is lo- Odom is having a breakdown. Andrew Bynum, as we'll see in Game 4, is losing it. Uh, Paul Gasol who, if you think back to this time, a lot of people thought was kind of on Dirk's level, is just getting exposed left and right. Kind of looks like he doesn't care. And as I said yesterday, the Lakers just look like a poorly coached team. Uh, so this is from Game 3 on the broadcast. Just a bad pass and a turnover. all stripped and
5: Terry down the other end. A costly turnover for the Lakers. And did you see the look that Phil Jackson gave Paul home? That was
1: one of disdain. Of utter disdain. Phil wanted out. <laughs> like the, ma- <laughs> the Mavericks were, were, were making him realize it was over. We make the joke now about, oh, the Mavericks, are you know, in scoops, sent Phil packing. <clears throat> Dude, it's true. I mean, he really got broken really in Game 3 by the Mavericks. And they comment several times on the broadcast just about how, look, Phil doesn't have an answer for this. And the crazy thing about it is the Lakers are up 81-73 with under 7 minutes left to play. Like, the Mavericks are down 6 heading into the 4th quarter. This was a game that the Mavericks absolutely could have and probably should have lost. But... You know, they rallied late, and a huge part of that rally, if Game 2 was the Peja game, I'd say Game 4, or Game 2 was the Bray game, I'd say Game 4 might be the Peja game. Game 3, gosh, I'm all over the place. Yeah. Game 2, Bray. Did you game, say they are up
2: 86-73?
1: What was their lead? Uh, that you referenced? There was 81-73, 81-73. with 7 73. to play in the game. Okay. Lakers. And kid to Peja, huge corner Cause, 3. Because I see it took till 2 minutes left.
2: Mavs up 91-89 after a Jet three.
1: Yeah, and that was so quite a run. one of their first leads in in the game. I mean, they they did not lead much late in this one at all. You but know? it became win time, and Mavs turned it on, huh? Yeah, and specifically Pagia, who had 11 in the fourth, including a huge three in the corner from Kidd to cut the lead to three. Uh, and then, I don't know, check your notes and see if you have anything written down about this. Kobe had an absolutely Terrible foul, up three, in the penalty. I think he fouled Kidd in the open floor. They were up three? The Lakers are up three. Mm-hmm. They're in the penalty. And Kobe fouls Kidd. I think this one's 87-84 at, like, mid-court. I mean, just an absolutely rookie mistake. Uh, and you know, that happens. As we went back to uh, to in Game 1, Kidd had a horrible foul of Odom with three seconds left in the half that sent him to the line for three on a half-court heave. But... Yeah, when it's 87-84 after another Peja made three draws the Mavericks closer, I mean, like, five seconds later, Kobe just fouls Jason Kidd in the open floor. Mavericks haven't even set up their offense. Kidd goes to the line, hits both. Uh, Next time down uh, for the Mavericks, Bynum fouls Dirk, and uh, Dallas goes up 88-87. And that was their first lead since, I want to say, the first quarter. So... Not necessarily a Laker gave this game away type thing, but they did continue to seem like a very poorly coached team. Uh, here's another moment from Game Two, uh, excuse me, from Game Three, where uh, Phil is just absolutely having a, a meltdown on both Bynum and Gasol, and Van Gundy shocked. Game track: as
5: Lakers right now with a one-point lead, trying to get in that win column and avoid going down all three of this best-of-seven series to Phil Jackson. Jeff, you said it earlier. You've watched him coach and coached against him for many years. This is as hot as you've seen him in a while on a couple of instances. This was in the first half, getting on Bynum and Gasol, and this was just as it went to the timeout, the last one called here in the third.
7: Yeah, it, the last guy I saw him go at like this was the old Bulls team when he would go after Horace Grant on some occasions. But he's obviously trying to get Gasol out of his funk and into the game. And what he's trying probably to remind him of is just how good he is. There's no reason he should be taking a backseat to any front court player in this series. And
1: he's proven that ever since he's been to Los Angeles. But right now, he just can't get on track. So, before we continue this, that sounds insane to me in retrospect. That Powell Gasol should think, I don't take a backseat back to any front court player in this series. Dirk is averaging like 28 in the playoffs right now. Like, Dirk is murdering any coverage they put on him. And Van Gundy's takeaway is well, I mean, Powell should consider himself on the level of any other front court player in this series. And that's what Phil's
7: telling him. Get on track. We think about his level of success. Three straight finals. Before that, he was the best player on some 50-win teams in Memphis. This guy is a great, great basketball player who's not playing great right now. And I've never seen Phil Jackson yell at
5: one of his great players like that. Horace Grant was a solid player and certainly did a lot for that Bulls team. But Kyle Gasol is on a different level. And I think the sense of urgency is
1: what Phil Jackson is trying to preach. So basically, he knew. <clears throat> that we don't have it. This 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 group of dudes does not have it. That group of dudes over there kind of seems to have it, whether but, you want to call it this effing team or whatever. Yeah, even jawing with Phil Jackson, though. Yeah, and it wasn't so just now. Powell. It was Bynum, Kobe, right, Artest, who was suspended for this game after punching J.J. barea Yeah, I have a lot of notes about just different guys and
2: Phil Jackson getting into it, and yeah. Should Bynum be yelling at Phil after his
1: fourth <laughs> foul, not to, not to take me out of the game? It's crazy, man. It's 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 nuts that that if you look at all the dragons the Mavericks slayed on this run, and how many times they came back from down late, and how Dirk was super consistent throughout this series, uh, and in this game had I want to say thirty-two. Yeah, Dirk had thirty-two, and Jet chipped in twenty-three. But there is a different guy in every game. In this game, it was Payze with fifteen. In game. Uh, two, it's Berea coming up huge in the fourth quarter. You go back to the Portland series, and that's kind of like game one and two were the only big shooting games that Jason Kidd had. Other than that, he was kind of a passenger. So, kind of on the story offense. of
2: any championship team ever, you kind of hear. But you couldn't have done it. Yeah, I mean, you needed LeBron and his consistent 30 every game, and you needed Dirk and his consistent uh, whatever, 28 and 10, or whatever he was providing
1: but it's going to take other people also. I think this one's a little more unique though because most of those have a pretty clear two guy. And Terry, okay, maybe yeah, is your two yeah, guy, yeah. but we're talking about having Bosher or Wade or having, you know, Kyrie Irving or Kevin Love or having, you know, I mean maybe those Pistons teams you would look team <laughs> you would look at and say they fit this bill, but I don't know. Again, I think that that's what makes the Mavericks run one of the most unique bas- at least in basketball ever. And, again, that it was Phil. It wasn't just Kobe. It was Phil. And the story of them going up game three as they closed it out in this one, uh, 98-92, was Phil just kind of throwing his hands up and saying, there's nothing I can do to get you guys to where they are. So it's not,
2: you know, you say, oh, the gods were smiling upon us, didn't have to go through number one seed San Antonio, which is true, which is great. But you still had the defending champion Lakers with Phil, with Kobe, with all that they stand for. So... It's, it's no shame.
1: It's not like you backed into this whole thing. And then, of course, to slay LeBron. So good Was. times in Game 3, but greater times in Game 4. We'll spend a lot of time on that one tomorrow because obviously we have uh, Bad Radio made its mark on history after Game 4 in the Mother's Day Massacre. The tickets online merch store is full of new inventory to restock your
2: swag supply for the spring. Go to theticket.com now. Get some classic ticket
1: T-shirts, sweatshirts, and hats, plus all the ticket stock gear that you missed out on the first time. All right, here's Jake. Thank you, Dan. Reliving the Mavericks 2011 finals run series by series. Did Portland last week with a huge comeback after uh, our in-game four for Portland. Mavs get up off the mat. close Portland out on the road, which they had been terrible on the road in the playoffs for the preceding five or six years. Uh, Headed to the Lakers series, and they keep it going on the road. They get game one. Dirk has 28 in game one. Jet, 15. Page at 10. Mavs are down 60-44 a couple minutes into the second half. And it looks like, uh, well, of course, it's Staples, it's Kobe, it's Phil, it's Powell, uh, it's Lamar Odom. It's It's, it's, called the way it is. It's the Monstars, and it's the way it is. So, uh, somehow, the Mavericks were able to pull out game one. That game one was dubbed a, oh, the Lakers just gave that one away. Kobe went off in that one. He had 36 Game 2 uh not so much a Lakers gave that that one away. The Mavericks took that one, ninety-three, eighty-one, 93-81 and uh that was where JJ Barea uh games 2 and 3 really started to become the irritant that we you know know him of when we think of him now. Uh as uh, I believe Bray had 11 in that game but also had four assists and was generally just unable to be corralled by the Lakers defense. You started to see Phil Jackson losing it a little bit in that game. And there was already talk that it was probably done for Phil. Uh, and as a, now that I've watched all four of these games in four days, the Lakers were incredibly poorly coached in this series, and it might have been that their guys had stopped buying in and stopped trying. Um, but the noise seemed to have gotten to them, and Phil just kind of has a, uh, a bucket of effort through most of this series. And the Mavericks uh, rolling out lineups with J.J. Barea running high pick and roll and just slaughtering them. Certainly exacerbated that. Game three, uh, more Berea in that one. Uh, or No, that was a, a Terry 23-point game, game three. Uh, the Mavericks were able to get that one, 98-92. They've all been pretty close games so far. Mavericks down, I believe, in the fourth quarter of all four of those games, or at least late in the third. And now we go to May 8th, Mother's Day, 2011. I believe a 2.30 tip, I want to say. It was definitely a day game, and I want to know, because I haven't asked you off the air. Did Dan McDowell and daughter go to this game? Oh, yeah. Okay, because you were talking about. It's a big memory it. for ours, of you us. You talked about on uh, Friday when I'm listening back to the show. Friday was game three. And you said, yeah, we're going to try to get tickets uh, for game four. And so this was you and daughter one. Yes,
2: because we went to our first basketball game ever together, the final regular season game. Um, You know, at the ticket, sometimes they'll say, hey, we have these tickets. So, like, the sales, somebody said, we've got these Fox Sports Southwest tickets, which are right behind the bench or right near it, like second row, the closest I've ever been to the court. And somehow I got them. And then we went to see New Orleans playing the Mavs. And we had a ton of audio, I think, because Chris Paul's mom was sitting right by us and screaming as loud as you've ever heard anyone. She was the first trout girl. And uh so we went to our first game ever then. This is our probably second game ever. She was really into basketball at the time. That was her sport of choice before she ever started playing softball. And uh the next year we even got a mini season ticket plan and went to like 10 games or something. So it was big. This was a big day for us. Man, Huge I've heard from, and I've heard from so
1: many P1s that that took their moms or you know moms that went with their kids and that this is like their best Mother's Day memory, and throughout the Portland series and even throughout the first three games of the Lakers series, I have dubbed this Mavericks twenty eleven playoff run. Boy, I forgot that happened. Uh, I didn't forget anything about this game. Like this one's burned into my memory. I know it was a destruction of
2: the highest order, and I do know going in it was like. Uh, no NBA team, and I think this still holds true, has ever come back from an 0-3 deficit in, in a series? I believe that's we the You know LeBron case. did the 3-1 and 1-3. One, and, uh, one, um, one Major League Baseball team had, I think that might have been the Red Sox, against the Yankees in, a, in the uh, championship series, and three NHL teams had in history. But the history of all playoff series... No team had come back from three to three nothing.
1: Yeah, I mean they've only so been. So we were just getting ready for a big win anyway. There's only been seven or eight three ones, ever. Yeah, and so yeah, it, sports, it, right? it hasn't happened. But I will tell you, going into this game, there was still a lot of talk about, uh, you know, <laughs> it's the Mavericks. Like, if were, any team could right. do
2: it, it would be the defending champion Lakers, and I suppose the the
1: Mavericks who all, all always spit it up at the end. There was a lot of talk of still no confidence from the fans. Uh, Even in the broadcast, there was a lot of talk of, boy, you know, if any team could pull this off, it'd be the Lakers. They get this one. They go back to Staples. They can certainly win that one. Then they come back here. I've, throughout then this the entire news run you, tightening, Yeah, Yeah. you've never seen this much disrespect So one more clip real quick Before we get to game four from game three uh, Towards the end of this game uh, As the Mavericks, I think whenever they had it in order We all remember that this occurred But I think it's kind of underrated
5: Mark Cuban was smiling and cheering a lot At the Staples Center in the first two games But when they asked him for post-game quotes Did not want to say anything To put on anybody's bulletin board It's got to be hard for him to, to remain silent <laughs> Oh, he, he's been around long enough to understand. I don't want to say anything that will
1: motivate this Laker team. They're still a dangerous, dangerous team. You know, we, we tease a lot about them, but... And then they go on to talk about how great, you know, Cuban is and how he's great he's been for the organization. But, you know, I think most Mavericks fans remember that, but that's about as sharp of a left turn as the Mavericks playing top ten defense was at the time. That it's the playoffs, and Cuban is not...
2: Haranguing Got a couple, officials. Of, couple of emails about that of conflicting reasons. One says that uh, he was accused of uh, something in Portland, like a uh, li- little too me too handsy or something in a photograph. You kind of remember that, right? I remember that coming out and that, um, when that, the
1: Pants DJ thing happened, and it was seemingly un- unsubstantiated, but, but I don't really know one the One email is on
2: referring it. to that and saying that's why, because he just wanted to lay low.
1: Uh, That it had happened in Portland.
2: Yeah, and then another email uh, told me that, don't you remember, Dirk pulled him aside. And that's kind of legendary. And I don't remember that, but is that anything in your mind? Like, that that Dirk actually pulled him aside and said, hey, dude, you're not helping us? I find that weird only because I have a lot of notes that Dirk should stop whining to the officials.
1: See, I've I've heard it told as Dirk and I've heard it told as Carlisle. I've never heard anybody definitively say this is why. And I think I've even heard Mark maybe say it was his own choice. But the point is, you know, he's going. He's not. In in L.A., no less. He's definitely
2: (laughs) acting differently than he has in the past.
1: So on to game one. And I think this will. This year is different. This year was different. I think this will take you back to a certain place in time. Uh, You know, we know Groobs. ...does some work for uh, you know both the Mavs and the Stars and whenever they play again, the Rangers, in, in arena and in park uh, entertainment. I don't remember who was doing it at this time. I know Cash was Cash Roy was around, but I don't think he was responsible necessarily for playing drops. But in the intro, they still play some of these, but they were hammering ticket shtick in the AAC in the summer of 2011. See what you can hear.
7: A Hall of Famer who might be playing his best ever basketball. Mike, and it's happening at
3: both ends of the club. Sure, he's averaging 28 points, and he's shooting 56% in the field. But he's averaging 10 rebounds, and then he's 7 for 10 in threes, and on the line, 93%. Terrific numbers.
7: The Los Angeles Lakers try to erase history. 98 no That's the record for the teams that have been down 0-3 in a playoff series. But if anyone can do it, Bill Jackson, Kobe Bryant, company can. What do you expect from them today?
1: Look, we're talking about three straight finals. <laughs> <It's just> doogie. <laughs> the doogie. Come on,
7: come on, come on.
1: Yeah, and at first they just played it once, and then it became the downbeat of the snare. <laughs> that's ever. awesome. Two championships. It's and a- then To give it away, the come other on! thing you're looking for is, uh, is Edna a
3: franchise that's noted for its excellence and pride. I expect a war in the paint and on the boards by their front court people. And then Kobe Bryant throughout
7: 15 years. The bigger the pressure of the game, the bigger the results. He leads off today's starting lineups brought to you by Taco Bell. when yeah, hard Ron Artest yeah. is back in the Laker lineup after being suspended. Another one. <laughs> <laughs> so you're watching this game on
1: ABC Sunday afternoon. I love stuff like that. I remember the, uh, they used the to have uh, my ah.
2: girls laughing if they got a technical or something. And...
1: Oh, that's right. That's incredible. Yeah. Um, Come on! <laughs> I, I, I love whenever you can hear it on the feed from you know the actual national broadcast. So the story of this game, as everyone remembers, is the Mavericks shot the damn hell out of the ball. Peja and Terry put on, arguably up to this point in 2011 – the best shooting performance that two players have ever put on in a playoff game in the history of the league. And uh, we'll follow up with that next and play some audio of Bad Radio on the Monday afterward on the ticket.
4: Lakers players, coaches. Yo, go like this. I'm sorry, Phil Jackson. We are for real. Burst should have called us asterisks, now you went and got your asses kicked. I'm sorry, Bill Jackson. Wish this one would have been a Mavs product. For
1: real. Instead of a Spurs Bird product, but it's still called pretty called
4: good. should have Stan, it's Jake. we Radio 96.7. 13 <coughs> the
1: ticket. We're, uh, we're honoring the 2011 Mavericks. And in 15 minutes, we'll play the greatest honor to, at the time, Lakers head coach Phil Jackson, as we welcome in Scoops Callahan for maybe his finest moment. But we're talking Mother's Day Massacre. Mavericks going to a Sunday afternoon game at home. AAC is probably as loud as it's ever been. Um, game four, May 8th. And this game started out with Kobe being extremely Kobe in that he has the no-blanking-way type look. 13 in the first quarter, 6 of 8 shooting, going to the rim, just, you know, blankety-blank type basketball like over my dead body. Am I getting swept by the Mavericks to keep me from getting this thing back to L.A. as I'm trying to win my third straight uh, NBA Finals? Well, the second quarter is where things really, really got insane. And I think I, I posted this this morning. Watching the Mavericks in this game – Especially in the second quarter, it felt like they, and I know that there was the Suns seven seconds or less, and some other teams that you know shot a ton of threes before, but it felt like when you watch the 2011 Game 4 second quarter Mavericks offense, it looks like all of the NBA offenses in 2019-2020. I mean, they are parking shooters, giving up twos in transition for threes, ball movement is just insane and it just looked they, the Lakers looked like a team from 10 years before this. The Mavericks looked like a, t- a team from 10 years after this. And it started off in the second quarter. Uh Mavericks had a 27-23 lead at the end of the first, but to open the second quarter, Jet hits a contested corner 3 uh with a Berea driving kick and it looked like Jet was feeling it. He it just looked so perfect. Uh he hits another 3. Um and another three. <laughs> three uh, straight threes in the matter of, you know, I guess it was a, a, a Dirk layup mixed in there. But in a matter of two minutes, Jets hit three threes in the quarter. Now it's 42-30 Mavericks. The Mavericks raced out to a 50-32 to lead in the second quarter solely on the strength of Peja. And J- in the second quarter, uh, Peja had nine on three of three shooting. Jet had 17 in a quarter on 6-of-9 shooting, 5-of-6 from beyond the arc. So at 50-32, to Mavs leading with about, I don't know, six minutes left in the second quarter. The Mavericks went on a four-minute stretch where they scored only six points. Okay, so it's 50-32. They've just been shooting the balls off the ball, Peja and Jet, just make, 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 make. And they go kind of cold for about, again, about a four-minute stretch. And when that four-minute stretch is over, the lead is still 18 because the Lakers also only scored six points in that four and a half five-minute stretch. There were opportunities here where the Mavericks kept bombing away, missed a few, and the Lakers just died. Their bench just had nothing. In times where Kobe was out of the game, the Mavericks could rely on Jet, Paja, and Berea. When uh, you know when Kobe's out of the game, the Lakers had absolutely nobody they could count on, and so. Again, after that stretch where the Mavericks went cold, they're still up 56-38. They go to the break 63-39. <laughs> I mean, just a flat-out bloodletting of a two-time champion in a knockout game. Incredible. Yeah, I remember it, but I didn't remember
2: these details. Dude, I just the- remember I don't I don't have any notes on it cuz it was just you know, I wonder even what we were doing the next day. We could not have been doing much you know, breaking down of that particular game, probably just the series as a whole.
1: Well, there were talk about a lot of uh, the threes that were taken, which we'll get to. At the time, the Mavericks had tied the playoff record for threes and a half. 11 made threes in the half. As in the first half, you had 20 from Terry and 12 from Peja. Again, Peja, a buyout candidate who was, has a bad back. He's hobbling up and down the floor half the time, but if you can hit him in his pocket, he was money. And that's a guy, we say this a lot about Dirk, Paige is a guy, would love to see him in the modern game.
2: Yeah. Because that uh, that
1: stroke is pornographic.
2: But you talk about getting a lot of rest, too, for the next round, because uh, the starters didn't hardly play minutes. Like, the starters' points do not look impressive at all. The bench carried them, and I suppose, I, I would guess that they were just playing anybody in the fourth quarter. Yeah,
1: Cardinal got a little run. Uh, Hubie Brown pointed John this out the on the telecast. At half, the Mavericks bench had 40 points and had shot 79% from the floor. What was the score at half, like total? Uh, Did they outscore the Lakers? 40 to 39. Yeah. The Lakers had 39. The Mavs bench uh <laughs> So that had to be <laughs> had considered
2: 40. pretty nice for an old team, you know? Yeah. Plus, four games. Who knows how long they had to wait for Oklahoma City. Probably had to wait a few days.
1: Yeah. They were tussling with Memphis, but uh, so the other thing about this that I Dirk want to point Dirk
2: was out, a plus 37. I'm looking at the box score.
1: Because Dirk would still sometimes play with the reserves. You know, they would keep him out there with Berea, Peja, Jet. But he was letting everyone else score. Yeah, and he that's another thing about this is Dirk made a ton of the right reads in this series. You know, his passing was on point. His defense was pretty good too, man. I mean, the, the Lakers averaged something like 100 and I think hundred. 9 points a game or something like that on the season. And just look at the totals the Mavericks held them to. 94, 81, 92 and 86 in this one. Some of it was that the Lakers looked discombobulated, poorly coached, Kobe was maybe banged up, but the Mavericks deserved a ton of credit for the way that they locked down on defense whether it was, you know, Kobe or it was the front court. So, um there was a stretch at the start of the uh second half here where Dallas scored, uh, let's see, Dallas scored just two points in the first five minutes of the second quarter. Again, we're in the second quarter here, and there was a, a missed layup by our test that wanted to cut uh, cut it to 17. 17 feels like a, a stretch where you could give that up. But those two threes that Terry hit after our test missed made it 23 immediately. Uh, Bray added it to 25. You're not coming back from that. Uh, so now we get to the third quarter, and – I think everyone remembers what happened late in the game with Bynum, but remind it, me. Bynum, straight up elbow checked Berea in the guts on a drive late in the fourth, and he got run immediately. But that was not the start of this. And re-
2: he was he the guy that elbowed him in the head earlier in the series? Or
1: was uh, that somebody else? I think it might have been Odom, but if okay. we if we go back to the last, but
2: I just remember early on you said like Phil just had no answers for. For Berea, oh yeah, so he was there, and dude, like you might call Berea the reason that the Mavs beat the Lakers.
1: I absolutely would. I absolutely Which is would. Insane, and he would not stop talking. Like he was not afraid to jaw at them. Bad blood between these teams dating back to the end of the regular season. Their last meeting then, when the Lakers blew the Mavericks out, and uh, Matt Barnes gets into it with Jet after Jet throws Steve Blake to the ground. That leads to a whole bunch of war of words. Um, in Game Two, when the game was clearly over, Ron Artest takes a run at Berea, throws his him to the ground by the face. Ron Artest gets ejected and suspended for Game Three. Maybe that's what I'm thinking. Yeah, yeah. probably so. So now we get to Game Four. Elbowed him in the head. But with 9:06 left in Game Four, we get our first uh, look at Odom with a hard check on Dirk. Uh, Did we
2: finish the Bynum thing? That's so what, later. I'm just saying oh, everyone right, remembers right.
1: the Bynum one at okay. the end because that's like. That's a fairly famous moment. But there's three or four things that Almost led up to that, remember one. that. <laughs> Almost everyone remembered that. Almost. But before that, we had this uh, situation where Odom just straight takes a run uh, at, uh, at Dirk.
7: So a flagrant two is called on Lamar Odom, who is ejected. Nowitzki comes to the line. And to restore order and peace, Ron Artest replaced Odom in the Laker lineup. <laughs> You can hear me. funny.
1: Hubie goes, <clears throat>
2: <laughs> that's a funny line. Yeah. <laughs> to restore order and peace.
1: Yeah.
7: Here's Ron, Ron Artest. Artest. And you can tell the, craziest the way, guy the way in the Hubie NBA. says it. To restore order and peace, Ron Artest replaced Odom in the Laker lineup. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and the, the thing about the Odom hip check, he runs up, hip checks Dirk, and keeps on walking. He doesn't even stop. But to I see, see him? like, he walks his tab. He's this like, is my like,
2: eject, like a manager getting ejected. Shirts on purpose. off.
1: Like, yep, I'm out. I'm going to get my money. So on this
2: one. So they just fell apart. They fell apart. It wasn't like a glorious, you know, they didn't go out head held high.
1: Not at all. The two-time champs took their ball, kicked it into the neighbor's yard, and said, I'm going home. Like, it's one thing Broke if you, the controller. you lose
2: in the finals or, you right. know, a hard-fought seven-game series that uh, just fell just short.
1: No, none, of, none of, nothing of the sort. So
2: that was Phil Jackson's last game ever.
1: Yeah, they definitely get into the fact that boy, what a travesty that the 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 patriarch of the NBA is going out this way. Did but, they
2: know he was retiring at this point?
1: There was some talk of it definitely, but with Phil it's like almost like Farvian that it seemed like it would come and go whether, you know, there were talk of, there's been talk of him coming back even in the last few years like when he was with the Knicks uh, in a front office role, but at this game it did feel like it had finality because his whole family was there, his kids were there. Uh, okay, so it was kids. thought it's, that it he started was going to, to retire. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure they didn't think it would be after a second round ass beating like by when, Dallas. When we were
2: doing scoops the next day, were uh, Gribble? Yeah, w- were we talking about you've asked him his final question of his career? Yes, it was. Okay, that so idea we was that. put forward.
1: So again, they put our test in. For Odom, after Odom throws uh, Dirk to
7: the ground. Let's see how that went. Our test now being physical with Levitsky, and a foul is called by Scott Foster. Just going to shut this down. And it's, uh, you said it. A great job by these officials here and just trying their best to keep things calm. Well, the
3: one thing is you cannot allow. A star player who's one of your top players in the nba makes the all nba first second or third team every single year to get injured in a game that you know you're definitely going to lose and you're getting pounded by short temper you're,
7: you're getting, getting embarrassed, embarrassed. No, you're getting embarrassed mm-hmm. that's correct by 30 two-time champions very sad way for the phil jackson coaching resume to end the last line of it okay it's just they sad it's just sad. That is sad. It's uh, so sad. From the from their
1: angle,
2: right. yes. From our angle, it, it was great.
1: Uh, so that started with our test. So Odom gets ejected. They because, bring our test in. Our test start immediately has a hard foul. Okay, because I just thought it funny that you just played audio yeah. saying we've brought in our
2: test to calm things down.
1: It was seconds. And later. And he comes in. And- <laughs> seconds later, but then when things really hit the fan was. Uh, Let's see. This was at 101.68. Mavs up with 8:20 left to play, and uh, Berea goes to the line. And this is about about one of the weakest fouls you'll see in an NBA game, especially given that you're down 30,
7: just trying to get out of here. But credit, full credit to Dallas, as you said, the perimeter for Dallas, the shooting. Not backing down, Berea. Oh, look at that! Oh, and That is Bynum. He will be ejected, and that's one of the biggest push league things I've ever seen. That is terrible, and Berea is injured. And the Mavericks bench is being very cautious as the medical staff looks. The medical the uh, medical staffs out looking at him. They're keeping everybody on the Mavs bench away from Bynum so they don't get anybody coming off the bench in an incident for the next series. Our test walked Bynum to the exit and he's been thrown out of the game. Fortunately Berea is getting up. Let's hope he's okay. That's one of the most bushly Amen to that. Amen
3: to that. And I just don't understand why this is happening. We're, we're talking about, when you say Los Angeles Lakers, Absolutely, you're talking about excellence, you're talking about titles, you're talking about some of the greatest players ever to play,
7: and for this game to end in this manner is a disgrace. It's an embarrassment to the Bus family, class family, it's an embarrassment to Phil Jackson and Mitch Kutchak, too, who have had a great career as a head coach and Mitch putting this team together as a GM. Yeah, suck it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's what I say to that. Man. Dude,
2: it was bad. I got to remember, Blake, write this down. Next time we have Cuban on, we need to ask him, like, how hard was it to hold it in during that? Because if he's bottling up his, you know, he's not running. Because could you imagine if they actually, Jeez. if Barea was injured, like for the rest of the playoffs and or I'll t- something? I'll tell you something I'm else. I'm surprised the bench didn't clear.
1: And I remember hearing this uh, and being reminded of it when Kobe passed. But it's. Kobe is so disgusted with the rest of the Lakers at this point. And if you watch the video, you can find the foul on YouTube. And it'll meet, Bynum rips his shirt off at center court. Everybody's starting to like, you know, start to engage. Uh, and then Mavericks bench, as you heard, uh, say gets pulled back. The only Laker player, and he immediately just throws his hands up and drops them, who walks over to Berea is Kobe. Like, Paige is there, maybe tight. somebody else is there, but Kobe's like apologizing. Like, kind of checking sure. on him a little bit because, I mean, dude, he's mid air and just gets slammed, and everybody else, our test, everybody wants to go fight. And Kobe's like, dude, what the hell are we doing? Yeah. Like, this is, a, he knows this is Adding an absolute embarrassment straight to embarrassment. To the, yeah. Uh, one clip from the Adding show. Adding personal the next day. embarrassment to what's already a
2: professional embarrassment.
1: Right. One uh, one clip from uh, the show the next day that I thought uh, really kind of drove home, the fact that even when it was probably 63-39 at half, uh, people were hesitant to celebrate. Uh, this is from Bad Radio the following Monday.
0: You know, And I had conversations with other guys doing the same thing. A lot of time on Saturday thinking, dude, please tell me this is not going to happen. Please tell me the Mavs are not going to be the first team. They were the first team to lose a best of seven on a 1-8. Please tell me they're not going to be the first team to blow a three zero. And I think I, everyone thought that. Well, and what's weird, and somebody said this, and I—I've I, seen so much media in the last twenty-four hours. I—I'm I, not going to attribute it properly because I don't remember. But somebody said, in might have been Torico, in most cities, up three zero, they're already looking ahead, they're already planning uh, travel or matchups or whatever about the next opponent. But in this city, it's pretty clear. That nobody thinks this this series is over until the fourth game is done.
1: That's why you didn't hear beat L.A. till the fourth quarter of Game Three. You know, it, everyone there's was that just seed dude. Doubt.
0: If they got Friday, this series is going seven probably.
1: And I know I've said it a couple times that they had the longest odds of any NBA title, and that just sounds like oh, okay, that's just a number. You could definitely feel it though, right? That I don't know that there's ever been a title that until it was done. Everyone pulling for the team was so convinced it wasn't going to happen.
2: (laughs) I'm pretty (laughs) sure after a couple games of the Miami series, I didn't feel good.
1: Right. And, I mean, what would be the alternative? The the Cavs came back from down 3-1, but they still went into the season in the playoffs with LeBron, Kyrie, and Kevin Love and were probably the second favorite that year.
2: Yeah. So, you know, the old cliche about uh, everybody doubted us. This is really one team that can really say that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. They definitely can. So they uh, they end up just absolutely destroying L.A. in that one. Which makes it better. Oh, it makes – you know everything about th- this makes it better.
2: Yeah, like adding this in, I guess the only thing that could have been better if you also uh, knocked off the Spurs. But, I mean, how many all-time greats do you need to knock off before you say this is an awesome championship?
1: Yeah, and then you add in that you gave up a 20-plus point lead in the fourth quarter on the road in the first round. I'd say uh, that plus all the MVPs that you, uh, both past, present, and future, that you uh, you laid down make this one pretty sweet. I think the only other thing you could add is scoops. Let's do that next.
5: <laughs>
4: all right, our hoops junkie, Jake, is taking us through the
2: 2011 NBA playoff run. From the Mavs, we just got done with Game Four against the Lakers—a blowout on Mother's Day. I was there; I was reporting live. Uh, Also, there was Tom Flakeboy Gribble, who was our producer at the time, and uh, he now joins us. He's at the Ticket Studios. We are.
8: Hello, Super Bad Radio.
2: Hey man, how's it going?
8: It's going good. It's going great over here in the trenches on the front lines.
2: <laughs> and uh, we all remember Tom's involvement. He uh, he makes everything about him. So somehow he made this uh, whole thing about him as well. But as it's, usual,
1: yeah, maybe the greatest win in Mavericks history possibly, is about Tom.
2: Possibly 1920s reporter <laughs> reporter guys uh, best bit. I, I you know it's up for debate. I like Peyton Manning. Uh, Phil Mickelson is so well known, but this this to me encapsulates the Hall of Fame career that Scoops Callahan has had because he doesn't go after spares like he would consider Ron Artest probably to be not big enough. You oh, know he, no, there's no doubt. It's it's he started with Wayne Gretzky, the greatest hockey player in history, and uh, this just goes right along with your resume, dude. The uh, you asked Phil Jackson. Possibly he's at least in the uh, argument for the top two uh greatest coaches in nBA history Red Arbach right mm mm-hmm. Phil Jackson he's right there, and you asked the last question ever asked to him at any press conference that he has uh held as a head coach.
8: It's kind of surreal I know Jake went over the uh, the amazing uh game that was the mother's Mother's Day massacre. And the excitement in the arena and everything was building, and I didn't think there was any way the Mavs were going to sweep when I walked into the AAC that day. And then when I realized not only were they going to win, but this was going to be that last last shot at doing 1920s reporter guy with Phil Jackson, Well, while everybody else was celebrating, I was starting to get nervous. That's when things started to change. <laughs> <laughs> things kind of got weird inside my stomach when, uh, when I realized that, uh-oh, here we go. We've got to make this happen.
1: And there's no thirteenth hole at the American Airlines Center. No, like, there is a not. to
8: lube up the media. <laughs> Can't take the edge off. No, so, so, so it. for
2: those who weren't there nine years ago, like should we play the audio now? Yeah, just to let mm-hmm. everybody remind you what it what it was, and then we could talk about it and stuff. But champ,
8: champ, uh, being a Hall of Famer like the legendary. Barney, Marty, Mike, Cedron and having more rings than Douglas Fairbanks even has Oscars, you have to ultimately take a lot of pride in knowing that you and your cajor career were nothing but the bee's knees. Amen. <laughs> Thank
1: you very much. <laughs> and he's off. Into the night. Oh. Calling it a career. Now where does it rank for you? Have you thought, have you done inventory
8: on this? Because of, yeah, because of everything Dan was saying. Because of how prominent Phil Jackson is, the history of the moment, the fact that that was his very last uh, press conference as a head coach. Yeah, that, that this is number one for me. The other ones are, are terrific in that they either got a great response from the, uh, from the player or the coach. I mean, they, they had to, like, make it awesome. But right. this just in and of itself was incredible and then you know even getting a little bit of pushback from the media which we can get into a little bit and i mean the whole thing all came together just perfectly when that when that microphone was going around the press conference room and it finally just landed in my lap and i knew here we go that is like okay perfect
1: do you think the blowout made it easier because it seemed to me in rewatching this game that in the fourth quarter, Phil was extremely resigned to his fate. A good hour and a half, maybe, before you got to him. Probably. Like, I halfway wonder if it's 101-99 with five seconds left, if he's still in, you know, pissed-off Phil mode.
8: Yeah, you know what? That was The one thing about this situation that was comforting to me is that I knew that Mr. Phil Jackson was Mr. Zen. Mm. He's a child of the 60s. He's a hippie at heart. So I knew that he was gonna. It was probably he's no way he's gonna be confrontational after this. He may stonewall me. He maybe gave me the uh, silent treatment. But I thought he was just kind of, kind of. There's a good chance he's gonna go with the flow and just kind of be totally cool. And I knew that the because of the because of the moment and Marty Mighty My Cedren, which is the only basketball player from the 20s I could find in the actual Hall of Fame, uh, that. That was going to be, it was going to be complimentary, and it was going to laud his career, so I thought there was a good chance that he was just going to go with it and have a, have a good time with it and laugh along with it.
2: so the media seemed to laugh there and have a good time, Most and, I, and like you said, you waited till the end. So it wasn't like you let everybody ask their basketball questions first. How does it feel to be retiring? Talk about retiring. Yeah, so I mean, what was it like right afterwards? Were any was anybody pissed at you?
8: I remember looking around the room being so happy that, you know, I heard some laughter and he said amen and got up and all that. But I do remember looking over my shoulder and seeing a reporter from uh ESPN, uh J.A. Adonde, if I oh. if I remember. He was not happy. I think he thought it was his right cuz he's from LA. And he covers the MV- NBA back then a ton. So I think he thought it was like his right <laughs> to ask that last question. And the fact that it went to a, a numbskull like me <laughs> really <laughs> ticked him off. He was, he was clearly not happy.
1: I want to play a little bit of reaction from. Uh, the various networks that aired the press conference. Just little snippets here. This is from NBA TV.
3: Might be time to check some of those NBA credentials. <laughs> uh, just saying I'm not involved
1: with security. Uh, <laughs> uh, TNT. That's that guy who shows up at those
5: press conferences and acts like the old-time reporter throwing the final question at Phil Jackson.
1: Oh, that's that guy. That's that guy who shows up.
4: Ernie Johnson knows who you are.
1: <laughs> yeah, but he, th- he he does, but he knows him as that's that guy. Right, right. Uh, ESPN News.
3: doesn't take much to get a microphone these days or a press pass, apparently.
1: <laughs> Nothing but the beast. That was like the
7: Geico guy, right? Wow. I had no <laughs> idea who
3: that was, but uh, he got in there and he got a question in there.
7: He's and like the ESPN. Geico guy. I have no idea what that
5: was. <laughs> Bill Jackson has won an NBA record 11 Title 6. so I have no idea what the last question was. It involved bees, knees, whatever. Chris Mullen joins us again. Look, we're not
1: covering the Department (laughs) of Defense. Okay? I mean, what was that?
8: (laughs) (laughs) Jeez. To them, it is. To them, it is the the Gulf War.
2: That's why it's such a great bit, man. Um, So I have uh, apparently on the show the next day, we were laughing that there was a guy in Buffalo named Mike Harrington. And he's like a uh, hardcore sports guy. Maybe the Buffalo Coupe, uh, you might call him. But he was pissed about it. Uh, Blake went back and found all his tweets. Awesome. And uh, he just tweets about sports generally. But if something in, uh, interrupts his sports, he's very upset with it. Let me read them. Uh, so his tweets in order that day was, uh, Andre Ethier, hit streak, ends in 30 games. Now it's all about the Lakers. Hard to believe a two-time champ can go go down in flames like this. Sports. <laughs> you are now officially a disgrace. Can't even lose with a shred of dignity. Odom hit on Dirk. I would hope Bynum gets a good long suspension for the start of next year for that one. Flagrant as flagrant can be. #Hashtag No Class. Ooh, amen. Amen. Was that the Bynum Berea thing? <laughs> What the Lakers are doing is not just losing, but diminishing their history and tradition with cheap shots. Much worse than embarrassing. Now he's mad. No audio from the Phil Jackson presser? Come on, SportsCenter. That can't happen. (laughs) He must have found audio because his next tweet is, all caps, what (laughs) the hell was that last question to Phil Jackson? Memo to NBA. Who are you giving credentials to? Come on. That's a joke. He's responding to someone else who agreed with him. Great minds thinking alike. If I'm the Pro Basketball Writers Association, I'm embarrassed right now. Oh, a, a dark day for the profession. Oh, no. <laughs> he should not be credentialed. Don't care what kind of gig he's running. That's a disgrace. Mocking our jobs. <laughs>
1: <laughs> You're just getting out uh, the Pentagon papers and <laughs>
2: now he's whizzing going...
1: all over them.
2: Uh, I don't know that if this is you, but he's planning to send his Twitter mob on you. He says... Here's the bozo from the Phil Jackson question, at Scoops Callahan. You would think they'd be pulling his credentials and his stations. Disgrace. <laughs> the shtick makes a mockery of our profession. We're there doing jobs, not putting on comedy yet. If he showed up in a press conference I was in, I would march right over to him and chew him out on the spot.
1: Ooh, are talking
2: to. Hashtag... <laughs> Guaranteed. Guaranteed.
1: <laughs> Don't you do All right. that, George Zimmer. Oh, it's awesome. He then
2: works in a Yuri Hudler, a healthy scratch for the wing. <laughs> now back to work.
1: <laughs> hey, let me uh, take a smoke <laughs> right. break here. And <laughs> oh. Oh. Back to Scoops. There are professionals there to work, period. Back he doesn't belong there.
2: Lots of knee-slapping people in Dallas crushing me, defending Scoops Callahan. I'm sure the professional media doesn't share your laughter. Uh, maybe I'll just uh, block the insi- entire city of Dallas. How would that even... Hashtag that- scoops is a bozo. <laughs>
4: <laughs> bozo.
8: Yes, that's the sweet, clean P1 coming to my defense. <laughs> that's hey, great.
2: everyone in Dallas, this is a real press conference. Awesome. Not Super Bowl Media Day where all the freaks like scoops can come out. Uh, next one, I'm not bashing the ticket. I'm bashing the fact they employ a crackpot <laughs> <laughs> to interrupt the work of professional journalists for a laugh. It's hurtful. <laughs>
8: that's hurtful. That's hurtful.
2: So many people in Dallas seem to want to bring up no goal and Super Bowls. Maybe I should just talk about the grassy knoll.
1: Oh, (laughs) Oh, jeez! Okay, a couple of uh, sports (laughs) failures to a president's brain ending up in uh...
2: (laughs) a sad commentary. Uh, Here's uh, the last one: sad commentary on the state of media in a major city like Dallas. Mm. If a sports radio gag is so popular, hashtag
1: absurd
8: <laughs> <laughs> so we got hashtag it's awesome uh hashtag
1: uh classless guaranteed scoops is a bozo scoops is a bozo <laughs> absurd and absurd well, i can't it, argue it, with it, any of that i think, I think I just, no. <laughs> he's on the money
8: <laughs> crackpot
2: uh blake was telling us something i don't recall you were called by espn
8: uh, well, there was a couple of things that happened afterwards because I, you know, it's funny that you brought the Buffalo reporter because I completely forgot about that tirade he put out on Twitter. But I remember Ashton Kutcher. That's what, that was the one that I, I really remember. And he tweeted <laughs> out something like, one of the worst days for a Lakers fan at least ended on a high note. Hilarious oh, question okay. in the Phil Jackson press conference. <laughs> Loved it. So. Nice. Yeah. So, so the mastermind of punked. Was all into the bit. So that was great.
2: And you also liked it, right, Jake?
1: Yes. That's, so that's, that's weird. Ashton Kutcher and But at you the time, know. I think Ashton Kutcher might have had... He was early Twitter guy. Yeah. And he might have had six or seven million followers or something crazy like that at the time. And he's and, tweeting about Scoop.
4: And the, fu- <laughs> the funny part is back in 2011, Bob really cared about how many followers he had and he was oh, really mad oh, that, at Tom. Back yeah. No, yeah, Back
8: then, he did. Yeah,
4: yeah, d- yeah. just back in 2011. <laughs> but Ashton Kutcher actually tagged you, Tom, and you got tons of followers, and I think you were creeping up to Bob, which he didn't really like.
8: <laughs> he would not uh, like that. He wouldn't uh, like that story. at all. Yes, but I remember that uh, the day we talked about this, that Monday, that Monday afternoon, I was at my desk, and I got a call, and it was from a prominent member Should I say who this was? Yeah, I'll say because she's not working anymore. Sarah Melton from the Mavs called me up. And she was ticked. And I think she had just gotten off the phone with somebody from the Lakers or maybe the NBA. And she was completely going off on me like a buffalo <laughs> reporter would i mean just like this what is going on you want to explain this to me how could you do this blah 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 and i'm just kind of trying to explain it just you know in the kind of half-hearted way i do
2: so it's a uh, fake voice and she yeah, ended how it
8: does that go? yeah and she, <laughs> she kind of goes and you know what it's not funny it's not funny at all which really hurt. I mean, that was like, oh,
1: <laughs> what do you mean? Yeah, let us handle that. Well, let Ashton we Kutcher said it was, funny. <laughs> right. we it was funny.
8: Everybody's a critic, so really that was does. and that was where she said, you know, hey, you are not doing this anymore during post games. You are that is that is it for for you. I'm you like, oh him. well, okay, all right, there we and go. And you
2: had done it there before many times.
8: Uh, quite a few. Yeah, you uh-huh. had
2: you hit LeBron a couple times. Popovich was cool with it. I think you had Phil Jackson in the past. I did.
8: Yeah, that was at a shoot-around, but I did Popovich after a playoff game. Yeah. That's when an NBA guy pulled me aside and said, what are you doing here? (laughs) (laughs)
2: <laughs> <laughs> a lot of guys seem to not be bothered by Scoops Callahan, though. Most. It's fun. It's goofy. Yes. It's, it's I think not, Le- LeBron kind of seems to like it. The players usually don't have any problem with it. It's the media Such guys. is always
8: the case. Yes. LeBron, yeah, yeah. After starting off strong with LeBron, had a couple of shaky moments with him. Right. Two and but three were not it. good. But this last time, this last time I did it with him, he was great. So, yeah, yeah. It's just you got to catch him in the right day. And LeBron's my buddy again. The suits. Well, it's yeah, always the sense. Thank you. You're Thank you. It's my and pleasure to serve.
2: Exclamation point for this series.
6: Alright, man.